everyone. Welcome to the 115th episode of the Socially Distanced Podcast, the flagship podcast of thepopbreak.com. My name is Bill Bodkin. I am the editor-in-chief of the site and the Jim Hopper of thepopbreak.com. That's right. I'm a dad. I've lost a little bit of weight. I still have all my hair, but I'm still like kind of cranky. And yes, I do have a flamethrower. Before we get into this, obviously the references I was making was to Stranger Things season four. A couple programming notes for everything coming up because surprise, surprise, we don't have a Disney Plus series to review every week. So just coming up next week, uh, we're going to have our second full length film review. We're going to be talking about Thor, Love and Thunder, myself, Al Manorino, Cat. Uh, Manos and Cole Rothacker will be uh, talking about that. We'll then the following week be talking about Miss Marvel. We have a couple episodes open. We'll hopefully be talking about Jordan Peele's new movie, Nope. Maybe we'll even have a special Our Flag Means Death episode coming up as well. In August, we'll be talking about The Sandman, uh, House of the Dragon, Andor, and um, She-Hulk Attorney at Law. So there's a lot of stuff we have coming up. We hope you guys tune in for that. And thank you, everyone, for checking out episode 114, which is our interview with Tommy Siegel of Jukebox the Ghost. So go check that out. But now, enough is enough. It's time to get into the van, and it's time to make that long trip to Utah to get the find out what the internet is and talk about Stranger Things Season 4. Joining us for the first time, for the first time in forever, he is the Murray of the popbreak.com. And I know you're thinking, like, why would he be Murray? Isn't Murray an annoying character? Well, Murray is very opinionated, like my guest, but he's also a person you can always rely on. Why do I say that? Is because he is the first one of the first editors ever on the popbreak.com, the first film editor of this site, a man who penned thousands of articles on this on this site was one of the first podcasters on this site and anytime i needed him as a writer as an editor and as a friend just like murray he was there albeit complaining about stuff but he was there the man who loves bagels almost as much as he loves tom brady and christopher nolan he is going to return to the popbreak.com officially Tomorrow, with his new podcast, Batman by the Numbers, Dan Cohen, welcome back. Uh, Bill, great to be here. I am really looking forward to talking Stranger Things. Uh, by the way, and I know, so obviously you're a New York Giants fan. Now, when, you, when you're in the upside down and you're watching football in the upside down or like the division standings reverse, because that could be a good lane for you to watch, you know, football in the upside down. Uh, the Giants would not be in last place. You know, like Daniel Jones, maybe his touchdowns, interceptions would be reversed. Could be something to think about. I don't know. Listen, as a New York Giants fan, much like Jim Hopper, I absorb that pain in one day. I'll get the sweet embrace of my fifth Super Bowl win. Of course, it's not me because I don't play for the team, obviously. But also joining us is the Eddie Munson of the popbreak.com. No, of course, she's not official, but she is the ace queen of the Hellfire Club. You have heard her on our Chippendales Rescue Rangers podcast. She was on our horror panel and she's been on many other podcasts. Follow her on Twitter at Kel at the Movies, where she's talking all about independent cinema all the time she's also follower on letterbox as well because i just joined that so that's cool and uh she is one of our favorite people of course kelly mcgovern what's going on dude 
Not much. I'm excited to be here talking Stranger Things season four. Well, so we are missing someone. As every Stranger Things season has, someone's in the upside down right now. And of course, that's it's the summertime. So, you know, that means Al Manorino is in the upside down somewhere. And somehow, in some way, I will put some Christmas lights together and probably cut a hole in my uh, ceiling. And I'll probably end up finding him much later in the episode. Hint, hint. He'll be here much later in the episode. So we, as I said, guys, we are talking about Stranger Things season four. The first time Stranger Things has been separated into two parts, not it was uh, instead of a normal binge. Uh, so that is why we uh, took our time getting to this one. And we didn't do the first part of it. Also, we were talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, guys, let's get into our first segment, which is called Pass the Duchy on the left hand side. Which is going to be, which no one knows any of the segment titles I've come up with. So if you remember the scene, you if you know, you know. So basically what this segment is, we're going to uh, pass the duchy around and talk about our thoughts and feelings heading into the season. Of course, the last season of Stranger Things aired in essentially a different lifetime and, and a completely different timeline in 2019 before, you know, the world went on fire, or in this case, there was a big gaping fiery hole cutting through Hawkins and Hawkins being, you know, America. So guys, let's talk about how we felt about going into this season. So Dan, I'm going to start with you. You're our, you're coming all the way from California. You know, you're eating that surfer boy pizza over there. What were your thoughts heading into the season? Were the positive, negative, worrisome, not worrisome? Right. But uh, but I, I'm with Mike, though, by the way, I do not like pineapple on my pizza, just FYI. But um, I was so, also going to say you're kind of like Mike. Um, but, you know, I went with Murray. I like Murray better. I, I get I guess this is not a popular opinion. But for me, I don't I don't think there's been a subpar season of Stranger Things. I the, is the first season the best. Yes. For the first season is definitely the best. Uh, the third season is probably my least favorite, but I still I still think that all three seasons are great. Um, I, I can remember when season two came out and I typical, like I knew this was going to happen. It was one of those things where season one was so good and season two got so hyped up that people were going to overreact if season two wasn't the greatest thing ever. And surprise, surprise, it wasn't the greatest thing ever, but I still think it was damn good TV. Um, and yeah, and I, I am a defender of the Lost Sister episode as well of season two. But going into season four or so, for me, I was I was as pumped as ever. I had no anxiety. There was no, I didn't have these like monumental expectations. I was just ready to dive back into one of my favorite shows. For me, because Kelly, I want to save you for last. For me, I was very worried because I don't know if you know me, guys. I tend to worry about things. It's literally woven into my DNA. Um, my concern was... You know, the second season, I actually re-binged the whole series uh, before uh, the second half started because my daughter, former guest on the show, Sophie Bodkin, who might show up at some point, um, although she is watching TV downstairs, so probably not, she wanted to watch the whole thing from start to finish. And we did, and somehow she didn't have nightmares, which is crazy, because uh, I would have as a seven-year-old. So I re-watched it, and you're right, season two was not bad. The Lost Sister episode. Not my favorite, though. But my big concern was, what stories do they have to tell? They didn't kill off Hopper. He's in Russia. Is that really going to work? And, like, how much longer can we keep exploiting these plucky kids in Hawkins? 
and you're hearing about all the stuff like how they keep getting older. How is this all going to be plausible? So I was very concerned about this season because I was like, I don't know if that magic's still going to be there. That was me, Worrisome Jones. Kelly, what were your thoughts and emotions going into the season? Um, as an eternal optimist, uh, once that trailer hit, I was ready. I was sold and I felt, you know, that same energy, like every time we got, uh, prepared for a new season, just like, you know what, I'm ready. Um, I'm, I was incredibly excited. All right. So let's get into our next segment where it's called, um, don't be afraid. That's right. Think of my hands as Vecna claws coming at you. Um, one of the big things about this season was they really leaned into horror more than ever. We've always had scary moments in Stranger Things. I mean, if you watch season one, definitely takes stuff from Evil Dead. Season three takes stuff from The Thing, especially the John Carpenter version of The Thing. This definitely leaned into a lot of really scary, visceral moments and a lot of just horrifying imagery. Did the horror work for you guys? And Kelly, I'm going to go back to you first. You love horror. Did, but did it work for you within the setting of this was going to be an overarching theme within Stranger Things? Uh, yes, I think it definitely worked for me, especially when you come to terms with the fact that these kids are growing up. This is, um, you know, them moving on from high school and moving on from essentially childish things into the territory of horror slasher films when you start to get into um, the growth of that. So it's, it's teens in peril. You know, and uh, I think that they really kind of introduced that quite well. Hot Teens in Peril, always a classic 80s trope. Dan, you're not a horror guy. Nope. So that's that's my big question. I figured, Kelly, it would work for you because you've been literally we're on a horror podcast with us. But Dan, did it work for you? You love this show. But it was way more psychological and visceral than before. How did it work for you? Well, that's the, like, right. As you know, horror is my least favorite genre when it comes to movies. Um, and yeah, and I still love this show. I think that, look, I think that the horror elements are definitely a cornerstone and a strength when it comes to this show. You know, don't get me wrong. I, I love all the upside down shenanigans. I loved all the red lightning. I love all the monsters with no faces. Um, but I think, you know, also the best attribute of this show is also that it's a very character driven show. But I think going back to the horror elements and Bill, this is something you were talking about, like some of your concerns, like, ah, are they just going to, you know, retread all the ground? What was really exciting for me going into this season was the villain. And because, like I said, when you go back to season three and I, I still think season three is great, but it is my least favorite season, I think. One of the problems in that season and why the show was maybe stagnating a little bit is because this is something that I, for me personally, I've been waiting for Stranger Things is I don't want a villain that's just like a monster. Okay, I want, you know, and that's exactly what season four did is they brought in, you know, sort of like a human-esque threat who was also very scary, but also also very visceral and psychological, as you were talking about, right? And I, what I love what they did this season with Vecna 
slash Henry slash one is that there was he was scary, but there's also this real, um, you know, personal connection and personal vendetta that he had with the main character. And so that's where I think the horror elements shine is that, yeah, you've got all this scary visceral stuff going on, but it's coming from a very character driven place. I think that's where I think that's where this season separated itself from the others is there was a real sort of like for lack of a better word like tangible threat i mean obviously you got the big monsters and the mind flavors of spider but this was actually like a villain who you get to know and there's a backstory and there's an emotional resonance with a lot of the plots going on with him so that is that's where the horror elements shine for me and even though why i'm not a horror guy i was able to get on board with this it was because of vecna and the villain well, Kelly, I'm going to go back to you before I get to my point. Vecna being not a a glob of CGI, um, or a or a enhanced enhanced by greatly by CGI C, CGI like uh, the Demogorgon was in season one. Obviously, some of that was a guy in a suit, also, but like very heavily CGI post. Did that make things more intense or more tangible? For you, the fact that Vecna was played by a real person and a lot of the effects used on him were practical? Uh, absolutely. And it's something that I'm so glad to be seeing them highlighting in terms of uh, behind the scenes footage and things that they're releasing on their own channel. Uh, I think that's something to be appreciated because the amount of effort that team has to put into making this real person a monster uh, just shows how important it is to the overall feeling that we get as viewers of this show. Um, I, it's scary because it's real. It's, um, and I just think they did an absolutely incredible job. So I, so one of the reasons I think that the horror, why the show has more of culture, like more of a buzz about it is because it's not just a creature. It's a person that a person is in a, a person that has control over that has similar powers to 11 and can play it. But like Dan, you were saying was tied to emotional traumatic stories for a lot of these side characters. We didn't really know um, Chrissy. We didn't know like the, he's so important. I can't even remember his name. The dweeby little guy who was, who was tagging along. Fred. Fred. I don't remember Fred's name. Come on. I heard it. I, I might be right on that. I don't know. Yeah. I, Find I, out later. Well, I'm going to just search for it now. Yeah. Fred Benson. Uh, but yeah, he was always tagging along with Nancy. And then of course, Max, we all have a connection with Max and playing upon trauma, I think made it so much more intense. And I think that's why more people were like, I think, I think that's why more people were besides the two part aspect of it was i think people were just like oh my god i i am more afraid of this than the goopy mind flare because it's mm -hmm. just like this person could haunt it plays into the classic 80s you know freddy krueger jason michael myers which is someone who we've always they've always referenced type of villains that are they're scarier because they were slash are people so and they could somehow be there while the boogeyman if he's a big monster you know it's a little less realistic especially when we can kind of see the shiny cgi of it all um and also i'm not a horror guy either and this and i don't know 
how my daughter was not freaked the hell out during this whole thing, but man, oh man, there was scenes. I thought the the um, the, the uh, skeletal implosion uh, yeah. of of the, the people was so shocking that it actually happened. And I think those were one of those moments where I think it was a huge risk that they took to make it so violent, especially when they have a younger audience. And I think that violence paid off. But it also goes and yeah, it, but it also goes back to this combination of I think that the horror elements are working really well, goes back to the character driven arcs and the scenes that you get in this series. Like, I, I'm, I'm just I'm so impressed with like this show is just able to create so many compelling characters every season. Right. And even in that first episode, right. You know, Eddie and Chrissy, they're brand new characters. We have no idea who they are, but in a very short time, uh, like you actually get to know them pretty well. And that's why at the end, when you see this really, you know, gruesome end for Chrissy, like it's even more impactful because even though we just met these characters, like it actually has a real effect on you. And that's, that's I think even though why I'm not a horror guy, it's all it all ties back to these character driven moments. So it's just I again, I am just very impressed with how they're able to meld all this stuff together. All right, let's move. Uh, Kelly, before we move on, anything else you want to add in about the horror? I would say that definitely coupled with the fact that we had such a long wait in between seasons and the way that it was introduced to be more of a um, the horror of trauma, the horror of the mind and not being safe in your own head uh, is something that we truly could all relate to, I think, um, at any age or maturity level. And uh, yeah, it was um, very captivating and very well done. Yeah. I 100% agree. Let's move on to uh, the next uh, the next segment, which is this is music. Of course, we're referring to Eddie's defense of Iron Maiden, which that band came out on social media and saying thank you so much. Um, now, music has always been a like you know popular music has always been a big part of Stranger Things. And before I even get into the licensed type of music, the John Carpenter esque intro music has you know is at this point an iconic theme. Of course, uh, in season one, the clashes. Uh, uh, will I stare? Will I go now? Uh, in se- season two, I don't remember a song for season two to be perfectly honest. Um, but season three, of course, the theme song to the never ending story. Uh, by Lamal of Kajagugu. But this season, more than anything, we had so much mainstream music involved. Of course, I made the reference to the song Past the Duchy. Um, there was a really wild uh, remix of Journey's Separate Ways, um, Extreme's Play With Me, uh, and of course, the two biggins, of course, Metallica's Master of Puppets and Kate Bush's Running Up a Hill. Let's talk about how the music worked for you guys. Uh, first, let's start um, because sometimes when mainstream music is put into film or TV shows, they're so it just feels like it's been put there. Mm-hmm. You're like, like if you're if you're a kid from the '90s, you remember this is to sell a soundtrack. Of course, this is not to sell a soundtrack these days. But did you guys before we get into some of the individual songs? Do you think the music, the mainstream music, the recognizable '80s music used in this in the season really worked and um kelly must start with you how do you think the use of music really worked in this did anything did some of it not work did some of did it work 
For me, uh, it worked as a whole. I was very happy with each choice. It felt very um, narrative driven. And especially in the case of um, running up that hill with Max, uh, incredibly character driven, um, feminist, strong, like really uh, pump you up and um, just very still timely and purposeful. So um, I really agreed with that. And I'll also add that um, I loved the use of dream a little dream of me. I felt that that was incredibly haunting and very purposeful and added to the horror and the creepiness and uh, almost the forn forlornness of this season. And I just remembered that it was every breath you take by the police was the big one from season two, which of That's course right. dream a little dream interrupts in Max's memory of the snowball, which I thought was a great, I think one of my, Dan, I'll get to you next. What I love was as much of a Metallica fan as I am. I love the fact that it's such a, you know, ballsy metal song that it would be like that some metal kid would play that just to, you know, get bats. And there's no better way for Eddie. We forget has bat tattoos, you know, essentially maybe uh, dies at the hand of those bats. But, I feel that the distortion of songs, especially when they redo the, like I said, the separate ways ending the penultimate episode was so like pumps you up so much. You're like, I need to watch this next episode so bad. And if this was episodic, like people would have been throwing things. They're like, I'm ready to go through a wall to watch this show. Uh, but it didn't, it was, it was two episodes in a row, but I thought how they cut up running up the hill um, especially when the tape was broken and Max is starting to levitate and you start to hear that part of it. It's so haunting. And that's the thing about this, that Kate Bush song. It's so haunting. And it makes sense that that's Max's favorite song, but it just, every time it played, it's so in, in the context of this show, it's, it just really just, it, because you know Vecna's there and it has to defend her. And so when it's broken and it can't defend her, it takes on a whole new contextual meaning. Um, also, it's wild that it this song, I wish I had never heard before, by the way. No, I had never heard that song before. I'd always like Kate Bush. You're like, I know the name. I don't know what she sung. Um, listen, I, I grew up late on music, even though I'm old. I grew up on Light FM and Doo-Wop until I was like 15. Then I started, had to, retrain i had to learn music so my daughter knows the words to that song so she's seven and like she will sing that song if it's on so it's wild that there's a whole new generation and good for kate bush she gets that and who gets name dropped like 16 times this season so she's just like raking in that money right now she's like good i deserve it rock and roll hall of fame i'll see you next year um dan for you the music especially the the, the licensed music the music that we know how did that work for you this season well, I, you know, when you send us the rundown for all this, this was, this was the topic I was most excited to talk about. This is, this is, ex this is, and you alluded to it earlier, Bill, that like, you know, sometimes songs are just there, right, in movies or TV. Um, but this, Stranger Things, is exactly how you are supposed to use music in cinematic storytelling. Fantastic. Um, and as Kelly mentioned too, it's like, it's all, it's, it's all about the narrative. And now you mentioned season one, too, which was very crucial. Like the, should I say, or should I go now? Um, never ever in a story season three, too. 
like that was also it served the plot that maybe a little force there but still but still worked fine but yeah here it is firing on all cylinders and it's again it's like i think this is a trope that has been you know guardians of the galaxy started this okay now you guardians saying of, something positive hold, about hold, a marvel hold, movie. hold on hold on hold on yeah you saying but, something positive about marvel i've, I've always people. told you i've always told you I guardians of the galaxy is one of my favorite marvel movies but that was now the music and that it actually like serves a purpose and it's very important to the character of peter quill right now i think people saw that i think there were a lot of movies that saw that and they were like oh well let's just you know let's just force uh you know these popular retro songs in all of our movies and tv and it will solve all of our narrative problems uh and it'll make up for the lack of uh, lack of writing but no but here you know obviously we've talked about the Kate Bush song. And yeah, by the way, that was the first time for that I ever heard that song too. And you know, now I've been listening to it Kelly's nonstop. Like, and it Kelly's was like, you boys, uh, stupid uh, boys. And I'm right. Like, You're right. <laughs> We're stupid boys. Now, as far as the other two songs, are you kidding me? I okay, Metallica is one of my favorite bands, just full Same. disclosure. Okay. Boys. Obviously, stupid boys again. We love Metallica. Uh, right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And are you to, to for Eddie to play? Uh, master of puppets in an alternate dimension while there's red lightning in the background in order to distract killer bats i I mean what more do you need out of an episode of tv oh and a guy who basically is a puppet master right exactly and right and that's the thing it was also it was like it was the perfect it was the perfect choice of song too and then also like the journey and journey also one of probably my top 10 favorite bands um that was now that song maybe not necessarily you know serving the plot but whatever it was used phenomenally well as you already said um and just yeah i to be honest i think that uh i i kind of i kind of wish that that episode was actually the loudest episode you saw and then you had to wait another month yeah are you are you kidding me oh the anticipation would have been just this the song is great. The ominous tone is they're all in this van um, gearing up for battle and you can see the look on their face. And it's sort of like this kind of like the suicide, you know, mission. And um, but it's like, you know, they're, they're, they're about to they're about to do this like Ocean's Eleven heist from hell. Uh, and just like that last shot where they're dropping um, Erica, Lucas and Max off at the house in just this ominous. And then it just goes to black. I mean, that is. That is great suspense. That is great buildup. So again, I mean, the use of music is fantastic. But also, just um, what I've always loved too about this about this show is just the score itself is excellent. I mean, this is one of the best. I mean, I I think this score is right up there with any great movie score that we've heard, you know, in the last five years. I own all four of these soundtracks. By the way, I haven't really like if you buy the season four score, it literally has like fifty tracks. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I will get through. I will get through it all. Uh, so just yeah, just the regular score music. Um, you know, especially anytime L is doing something awesome, the score is just again firing on all cylinders. So yeah, I thumbs up all around for me on the use of music in this show again this is this is how you do music in a tv show let's um let's move on to our next segment which is possibly the best segment name i've ever come up referenced (laughs) this is the purple palm tree delight segment of course this is your absolute favorite moments in the season i said episode by accident in the in the um 
in the notes, but that's because I'm so used to doing episodic. So when you're lighting up the purple uh, palm tree delight, what 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 scenes are coming to your mind? So uh, I'll I'll actually go. Um, I don't even know if I gave my opinions on the music, but I, yeah, I love the music. So yeah, it's cool to see Master of Puppets. It's awesome. But um, it's so for me. Gosh, there are so many great things in this in this season. Uh, I think for starting in the beginning, the uh, the D and D game with Lady, the introduction of Lady Applejack. One is cool because you know we bring Erica back, and Erica is we stand Erica. She is she is an all timer, but that's when you fully get the Eddie character. That's where we fully learn that Eddie is a cool guy because he's very once she 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 throws out her D knowledge he's just like welcome lady applejack and he's just you see him like oh he's just not this crazy dirtbag character who's a drug dealer he's actually he's actually a pretty cool guy he's a nice guy so i i did love that um i love the callbacks i love that when we were trying to i actually didn't think of anything so i'm just spitballing off top spitballing on top of my head that we get when Nancy tries to leave, she actually gets pulled into Vecna's curse and we've come back to Barb in the pool because it's like, why would, because, you know, listen, this show has spanned six years. So you're not going to, you might've forgotten that. Oh shit. That's right. She is still very guilty about Barb. And that's a great reason for Vecna to try and ensnare her. Um, I do love, the reveal, I think episode, um, episode, oh gosh, seven, where we get the reveal of who one is that he's both Henry, um, Henry, uh, Creel and he's one and he's Vecna, I think is one of the best reveals that they've had because no, you didn't see it coming. I mean, maybe some people did, but that reveal was so clever. It was so well done. And when you think about it, it just wasn't shock for shock's sake. It was like, it's a very wonderfully leveled reveal. That is like, wow, that makes so much sense. Um, other stuff that I did that I loved. Um, Argyle is my patron saint. I love that man. I, 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 would, I would lay my life down for him. He was so great. It's just like every stoner I've ever met and I've ever wanted to be in my life. Uh, and uh, gosh, that that final episode, man, there's just so much goodness in that. Um, the, I, the, the part that got me, of course, was the Eddie death with Dustin crying. But the way he goes out in the end was pretty amazing. And uh, gosh, there's so much. It was such a great season. So, But those are the ones right now that stand out for me. Kelly, what stands out? What stood out? What scenes stood out for you? What moments stood out for you? Um, okay, so the overarching uh, relationship, the platonic love between Steve and Robin, oh. uh, it was something that I was so looking forward to um, since season three, and them, you know, just kind of bearing their souls with each other and keeping each other's secrets and just then being so connected at the heart that like all they need to do this season half the time is just look at each other and they can read each other's minds. Their banter's just adorable. And, um, you know, it's, it's true friendship 
and true love without the need for, you know, romance or, you know, sexual tension or anything like that. And I think that is so great to see. So that was, you know, a lot of my favorite scenes out of this. Um, Not to use too much of my Eddie Munson energy, but one of my favorite Eddie Munson scenes was when they are preparing for battle and they're getting their swords and their shields ready. And him and Dustin are just, you know, goofing around. And then he grabs Dustin's face and he says, never change. And it is such a beautiful moment of just fatherly love, but also like the breaking down of, I think, toxic masculinity and also, you know, demolishing prejudices like these punks and these rockers and, you know, the weirdo D&D people and all the satanic panic just goes away because you see that this guy has a heart of gold. He's been a hero this whole time and he's going to lead the next generation of weirdos into the future. So beautiful moment. Can I, before you go on, I have to ask just your opinion on that scene too. By the way, you also dropped two um, uh, segment episode names in that in that response. Um, <laughs> is do you also think that that was uh, and Dan, jump in if you think so too? For, like Eddie knew he wasn't going to make it. I because that, that line feeling. devastated me because I'm like, oh shit, he, he knows he's not coming back. It. It felt like he was building himself up for something. And, um, you know, he talked a lot about his uh, his cowardice, his feeling like uh, he never really stood up for anything in a meaningful way, or at least that he could see for himself. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did think that that was building up to a, um, a moment of uh, bravery on his part that he might not be able to uh, walk back from. Yeah, yeah I, I totally... Like- See, I don't think that, uh, I don't know if Eddie knew, but uh, I watching, I knew that I exactly, I thought this when he said never change, I was like, ah, that's it for Eddie. Uh, because that is a very much a, um, like a passing of the torch type line. Uh, so it was, yeah, but that was, it, I, and I agree, what, that was one of my favorite scenes too, just because you can kind of feel, you know, cause Eddie's arc, you know, it's a very, it was a very tight arc all season. You know, he went from someone, Oh yeah, I just run to now he faces problems head on and, you know, he, he died a hero. Um, and again, I'm going to, I, I want to save some of my Eddie stuff too, for yeah. later on. Uh, but, uh, Kelly, you had a cup, Kelly, you had a few more. So I want to get back before yeah, go we ahead. jump into Dan. Kelly, you had a few more uh, favorite scenes. Also, I have to throw in mind of when they show up at Susie's house. It's just that that was the pure, like the fun Stranger Things. Like we needed that fun moment, my dudes. So what else you got? Overall, Sadie Sink. Oh. Phenomenal this season. Stepped up to the plate. Had that um, just like she became such a star. And you can see her like shining bright and definitely, you know, I I already know she's got a couple projects lined up, but like she's going places like that was just an absolutely phenomenal arc for her this season. And um, so deep and like complicated too. like it, it it wasn't so much um, topical. Uh, There was a little worry when um, scenes were released uh, of her crying over Billy's grave that, it was kind of going to go in a certain direction of like, you know, an apologist direction. 
uh, they really turned that around and they made that something that I think everyone can relate to. You, uh, again, going back to the, the trauma that you deal with and the horror within yourself, um, she addressed that as a child like so well because you think of the feeling of standing by and not doing something to stop it when something bad is happening to someone, but not just that, sometimes wishing something bad would happen to someone. So she, I think, bared those demons very well and knocked it out of the park. Of the plan, too, of the, the Suicide Squad plan, she had the most, well, one, she was risking the most, and she had the best plan because no one else's plan worked, really. I mean, I guess the Lucas and Eddie, uh, sorry, the, the Eddie and Dustin plan worked to an extent, but like hers ultimately did what they needed to do. And that required the ultimate sacrifice. So, and, but I will get into something about Max later that I'm, I'm very interested to see what you're going to say, Kelly. Uh, and I'm also remembering shit too. So I would just keep interrupting uh, before I get to it um, is, uh, oh, I forgot it already. Great. Good job though. Uh, Dan, what do you got? Don't worry. I'll interrupt you. Some, some of my favorite moments. Uh, well, so, one other thing I just want to, one thing I'll harken back to what you said, Bill, is um, the scene when uh, when they're all trying to get out of the upside down, but then Vecna, you know, takes Nancy. That moment, like, literally, like, I jumped out of my seat when all yeah. of a sudden the screen goes to black and she's falling. Um, yeah, that was, that was a real riveting scene. Um, I will say, though, then the next, now, I, I think that this is a well-written scene, but if I, if I had to nitpick just a little bit. We'll get into the nitpick. We'll get the nitpick. Just, just, one, just one little nitpick. It's like um, when Vecna is sort of just laying out his entire plan to Nancy, that was a little, like, I'm a James Bond villain monologuing. Like, I kind of, I get that it was sort of, he, he wants to, like, rub it in, right? And he wants... He, you know, he wants um wants you to tell Eleven what's going to happen because you know he wants you know he wants everyone to be scared. But it's like, what did he really have to tell? Did he really have to lay out his whole plan? Um, I don't know. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later. But okay, so some of my favorite moments. Uh, I mean, you know, like obviously the end of episode four has been talked about ad nauseum. Uh, I talked about the master of puppets stuff too. That was obviously one of my favorite moments. If we're just, if we're, if I'm just talking about moments before I get to some of the bigger stuff, I, Hopper picking up like the legend of Zelda sword <laughs> and slicing the head off that monster, which was not... the epitome of just badassery. Shouldn't have worked. <laughs> Shouldn't have worked. But my wife was like, why does he have a sword? I'm like, because. It was in the rack of weapons. Now, I'm going to interject one of my favorite scenes from is Murray realizing his karate, which he's used against children, sure. worked on the plane. It was a perfect moment of stupidity uh, that I love very much. But also, I believe Hopper's speech within the prison to the man without a face from, from Game of Thrones Um if people did because that was a huge surprise i'm like oh my god there he is he's 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 the man who doesn't care um that speech about um when he's talking about being cursed i thought was was a great moment because hopper's yeah. character really sucked in season three he would just yell in George mm. like he was having a freaking heart attack every two seconds um but yeah anyway continue dan i'm sorry like i said i'm in an all good all good um i think i think some of the bigger themes you know 
I think it was a really good decision to bring back Matthew Modine for this season. And his hair that was whole, great. Good old, good old, good old Dr. Brenner. Uh, so I feel like, you know, we talked about Vecna as a villain, um, but I also like Popeye. This is like a, this is a vintage textbook example of a good multi-layered villain, right? This is a guy who is very much a monster. And I feel like when the situation with Hawkins comes up, right? I don't think he gives two shits about what's going on in Hawkins. He totally, as the master manipulator, uses this as a reason to get Eleven back into the fold and get Eleven back under his control, right? Um, And, you know, he has very much been the monster and using all this stuff and, you know, really playing with fire and, you know, opening doors to all these bad places where all this sort of like death and destruction has been happening um, is 11 lays it out for him. But also, you know, he's, I do think he's a multi-layer villain because I do think there is something inside him that does genuinely care. Um, And I think we're really like the moment where one of the scenes that was pretty impactful is, you know, he he's about to die and he's just telling me like, you know, I was just, please, I was trying to protect you. Like, tell me, tell me you understand. And 11 just like cold as ice and just drops his hand and just says, goodbye, Papa. And she's just not even going to give him that. Uh, that is, and, and like, you can see that, look, this is a very, uh, th- this character is interesting because I think he's very much like, you could say the mustache rolling villain and like the mad scientist. And he's just, he really doesn't care about anyone. He's just, he all he cares about is, you know, ex, you know, um, you know, trying to unlock people's potential, but at what risk, you know, at what cost? He doesn't really seem to care about the ramifications. Uh, but again, I think that truly though, Eleven really was his family and all he had. And I think like in his last moment, he probably realizes, wow, I really screwed up. Um, but again, in his like his last breath, you know, Eleven doesn't even give him that. Um, and that was that was a really impactful scene. Right. Um, I, thought thing, the, well, I thought the I thought the closure thing, just yeah, with that well, character was yeah, great. Well, yeah, go ahead. So let's let one thing I want to you mentioned something about manipulation and Brenner. Okay. Are how similar do you guys think Vecna and Brenner are? Because when you said that, I'm like, I feel like they're the same type of character for Eleven emotionally manipulating her into she's the problem. She's the root of all the problems. And they, or she, they're using her for their own gain. Like Vecna's trying to manipulate, you know, when he was Henry, he tries manipulating her to free him. And then again, tries to manipulate her by saying, you're the cause of all this. Don't fight, give up and let me take Max. Let me destroy the world. Brenner's the same way. He's like, I, I, you know, I feel like Vecna Henry took a lot from Brenner and extrapolated that into his character. Do you guys, do you guys think that's a, am I, am I fishing here or do you see some similarities there? Kelly, what do you think? Uh, Yeah, it did feel very much like, um, what would you say? Like two sides of the same coin. Uh, They really felt to have, they were very selfish in their vantage points and what they were trying to use her for. And yet they were projecting this sense of, oh, but it's for your own good. 
Um, but it, it clearly very selfish motivations on both parts. And, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily know if uh, Dr. Brenner can see that in himself, but I think uh, the Henry Beckner character is aware of his own motivation. So I guess that would be the only difference between the two characters. Right. And I, I do now, I think you lock into something interesting because also with both characters, right? There is also, you could say with Vecna, there is also this genuine care for Eleven because Vecna even says, like, I, it should be you standing beside me, right? Which is very like Ra's al Ghul Batman moment. Uh, and so, but, but I think, I think where, what a tease I, for I, his I, new podcast. I, I think where they separate though is like Vecna is the totally amplified version of Brenner in this sense. And Vecna even says it like, Brenner was a nothing. He was this mediocre man and he used us to try and make himself great. And no, we are actually like the great ones. And this is why we're the ones who should, you know, like remake the world. Uh, but yeah, but definitely fair. There's, I, there's definitely some similarities there, but I think that's why, I think that's why Vecna is ultimately, obviously um, the greater threat. And, um, you know, obviously we'll be going into season five. And uh, anything else, any other scenes that you wanted or things you wanted to bring up before we move on to our next segment? Uh, no, you know, I think one of the, uh, you know, one of the other um, things that I really like about some of the writing this season is, um, you know, you also like you mentioned Argyle, right? Um, I want to talk about just like, you know, when you think of like the, the Lenora Hills crew, right? Um, and you have like the characters like Argyle, Jonathan, Will, Mike. Um, I think that it's easy to say like, ah, you know, did they really like how much of the plot did they really serve? Like they were just kind of there like and I, I actually disagree. I think one of the things that is really smart about this show and it's like it's every i think everyone really does serve a very important purpose um argyle gets them to you know the pizza dough um so that's a you know the, that's how he's used and that's where his value was right but i also but in like you know jonathan's a character who i really liked in season one he was i think he was one of my favorite characters sure. and you know and, and like the more recent seasons like I, he's kind of been off to the side like he hasn't been as important i don't think um, and in, and in this season, like, I, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the character fine, but like he, he was, he, he didn't do too much except though in the last episode, I really liked that they brought back, um, this sibling bond with him and Will, which was really, I think one of the stronger parts of season one and, you know, Jonathan basically telling him like, Hey, you know, I, I'm always here for you and I'm always going to be your brother no matter what. And what I like about that is look, Argyle Gotham's where they need to go. Jonathan gives his speech to Will, and I think that gives Will the strength to give the speech to Mike, who then gives a speech to L. It's all very good writing in that sense. And I also, and honestly, like I, I also, I, I like the Mike fight speech. I thought that was very good. Yeah, maybe a little corny, but I thought that um, what I liked about that too was, you know, he keeps saying fight, fight, and then all of a sudden the screen goes to black, and then you get this epic shot of like Vecna like getting launched backwards. And he looks like scared as hell. And, you know, Eleven has unleashed fury. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, just, yeah, just that whole, a lot of the climax and how it all came together, I thought was really well done. Moving from the other side of the, to the other side of the coin, let's go into a segment I call Satanic Panic, which is <laughs> based on uh, the criticisms I've read from people online. I also gleaned uh, some stuff from uh, the review from Entertainment Weekly. Uh, about some stuff that didn't people didn't like about this season. 
Um, and so I wanted to address that with you guys. And we've kind of we've got a couple bullet points here, so we'll kind of go in more of a quicker approach here. Um, so the first point I'm just going to go around is saying the less overt 80s nostalgia. For me, I don't care. Like, I think that was one of the weaknesses of this series because I felt they they uh, used it as a crutch, especially season three. I felt they're like, hey, people don't like season two as much. Let's go. Let's lean into what works the most. Let's go to the mall. Let's like, oh, here's these stores. Here's all this stuff. To me, it worked great. Uh, the less overt references because you referenced it as an 80s. You uh, positioned this season as an 80s horror film. And that's all the nostalgia that I needed to. And also the music, by the way. So, Kelly, the uh, nostalgia factor being turned down a bit. Uh, did you see that as a problem or did you see that as a positive? Uh, it worked just fine with me. And actually, I think um, the way that they were kind of able to create a different sort of nostalgia in a sense was uh, through environment. I think um, the use of uh, California imagery uh, versus the you know traditional Hawkins was a new way to freshen things up in terms of uh, identifying your logistics and, and like feeling the trends of the times without it being so overt as we said. So I actually, uh, I think that worked in its favor. Dan? Absolutely. When I, when I, it, look, it goes back to like, you know, it's sort of the similar thing with the music, right? It's got to, it's got to serve the narrative. Like, you know, I don't, and I, and I, I, I agree with you too, like on some of the things on season three where it felt forced. It's like they're in a movie theater and back to the future is playing like, okay. I mean, back to the future is a movie that was released in 1985. I I'm aware of that. Like, but there's no, like, there was no purpose to it. Like, yeah, it was cool to see like, Oh, people are watching back to the future. Like, I, okay, great. But that was, I do agree. Like season three, I think you're, I think it had some of those forced moments since no, it's just, you got to use the stuff when it serves a story. Next point, the Russia plot. A lot of people feel like this could have been cut or this could have been condensed. Um, now, Dan, I see you, obviously this is a, a visual, uh, an audio podcast. So I'm going to say you're, you're doing that, ah, you know, that, that face, what, the Russia plot. What do you think? I, so it's a criticism that I understand because it totally feels different from the rest of the show. Like it feels like it's an entirely different show. Having said that, like I, I love the fact that they sort of infused this like James Bond element into it. Um, and again, it's all, it's all just because of the chemistry of the characters. That's honestly why it worked for me. And that's why I was never like upset when they kept going back to it. Like the chemistry between Joyce and Murray. Um, also the stuff that you, you talked about too earlier, like with, with Hopper and um, I forget who his name is, but his, his buddy who was the guard. Right. Um, that was, like that was, I think, a really good showcase for Hopper's character and just David Harbour's acting in general. Is like you can right, he's talking about the curse, and you can just you can see this guy who is just racked with guilt. Um, but it was very effective. Um, and I thought the action sequences in Russia were all really good. Um, also, like you know, you think of the character of Yuri too, right? You know, that's a that's a character who he's obviously like he betrays him. I think. I think you know he's going to turn good only because like he's a very funny character and like kind of likable so it's it's a tip off that that's going to you know that he's going to turn in the end but like his dynamic with Murray was really funny and so again like I, could you remove it I mean I don't know I but well it's still at the end though it was still connected like that's like you know 
that's one of the things I really do love about Stranger Things and like why I think it's it separates itself from a show like Lost yeah. is that, you know, it's, oh yeah, Lost, everything's going to be connected in the end, right? And like really only like 3% of things mattered. But look, the Russia stuff at the end, like it had an effect on the stuff that was going on in Hawkins. So it still served a purpose. Um, I loved all the inter- interactions with the characters. So yeah, um, understandable criticism, but I'm still for it. Kelly, Russia. Um, you know, thinking of it, in terms of like a historical context, like in the U.S. competition with Russia in terms of like, you know, like the moon landing or science or like, you know, just uh, really world power in war, <laughs> well, you know, competing against each other in, you know, such a way, it felt embedded in this storyline. Yeah. You know, they really took it from the last season where it's like we're both kind of looking into the same thing from different angles, trying to figure out what is the upside down? What are these like creatures and going about it in two different ways with two different mindsets so um I, it didn't feel like it detracted from me like it uh it made sense and uh you know i i can't think of anything i would do to change it so i think if the season was a full binge like a one seat like it was everything was dropped on one day and the episode run times were the same exact as they were previously and we weren't given these longer run times I really think the Russia subplot would have been way worse because I felt like, especially even in the finale, there was a, the Russia subplot sometimes dead stopped everything. However, I feel like you had to have some sort of development for Hopper because he was so bad in season three, like I mentioned before. And it is very far-fetched that Joyce and Murray would get to Russia and infiltrate a prison and all this. But it would also is very far fetched that a bunch of high schoolers can defeat a demon. So let's <laughs> right. let's let's throw that out the window. But I think it was very important. Uh, the Hopper stuff was some of the most dramatic outside of the Max stuff. I think was some of the most dramatic stuff here. We needed to see Hopper. Hopper is a great character, but he's also started to get very one note. We needed to see him develop. So I was okay with it. And they were some pretty intense scenes. And um, I also liked the speech that the man without a face gave to Yuri about you were a hero once, be a hero again. It's this unexpected yep. little scene that just works so wonderfully. It's just one thing I'll add to the to the Russia plot too. And I think what the show does really well in general is that like, you're right, there are some intense scenes. And uh, like, look, you have like, you know, Joyce and Murray, you know, like infiltrating, you know, like a Russian prison. But I think that they're still balancing these tones like really well, like even with all these intense moments, it still felt like a fun, like romp with these characters. And it was just a very, so yeah, I I just thought the Russia stuff was very enjoyable. Nothing more fun than watching a bunch of men get devoured by a Demogorgon. What a romp. (laughs) Um, Let's get into our next one, which is going to be something I've heard a lot and not just this season, but previous seasons and actually something the Duffer brothers recently addressed and it was separating the characters into teens uh a lot of people feel like this has been done to death now we've seen it this was the third time we did it did the separating of teams affect the season for you to me you kind of have to there's too many people together to do stuff and if you're not going to kill people off you gotta separate like the offspring you got to keep them separated guys i'm sorry it was it's a bad bad joke but it was right there for me uh, but I feel they just said everyone's going to be in Hawkins in season five. That to me absolves any sins from that because 
this is where the central action, this is going to be, this is Mordor, this is where they're going to be, this is where the final fight is. Um, Dan, go right back to you. Um, the, the, the teams, does that, is that, was that too much for you? Or is it- you can't, I, I think you said it best. It's like, you, there's so many characters, like there's just no, you have to separate them. Like there's just no other option. And I think it goes back to what I was saying earlier too. One of the strengths of this show is how it all comes together in the end. And that's, you know, again, like in the, in this last episode, you know, in this last two and a half hour episode, um, all three plot lines mattered. Every scene mattered. There was urgency, there were stakes, there was consequences. You know, you have like 25 compelling characters going on. Um, the music's awesome. And so again, I think that, yeah, they're all separated, but they're all, you know, they're all, it's all working towards one goal. And so I'm excited to see it get there. You know, if it fumbled it at the end, then that's a different story. But because um, I was, tr- I trusted the storytelling, I was totally fine with it. And, you, you know, one thing I do have to really compliment them on is because this is something I've complained about ad nauseum in, t- in movies is that movies today are, are way too long. They're way too long. That's a discussion for well, another day. We'll see. Well, some look. Sometimes, some. Well, that, that's a good. Pluto, that's a good mean, uh, hold on, hold on. Love it, Avatar. Uh, that's a good I transition. Like people, guys. That's, a, that's a good, okay. Well, I just saw Elvis, and that was way too long. Uh, that should have been like an hour and forty-five minutes. But uh, we don't have to talk about Elvis. But was it good? Uh, by the way, I, it was. It was. It was. It was okay. It was entertaining. Yeah, um, just should have been thirty minutes short. The guy who played Elvis was very good. Uh, but I'll always, I think, after Moulin Rouge, I'll see anything Baz Luhrmann does. So. Listen, listen, I say all that to say that sometimes run times are justified. And I think what's really um, impressive about what Stranger Things just did here is that even with these ridiculous runtimes, like I, I, didn't, I never felt it. Um, and the storytelling, I thought, was still really tight. Right. So in terms of separating the characters worked for me. All I got out of that was you love Avatar. Uh, Kelly. We'll see. <laughs> no, you love it. Kelly, yeah, separating into teams. Does that bother you at all? Did that detract? I think that in the beginning, it caused some anxiety because you have uh, PTSD from, you know, uh, Game of Thrones separating the Stark children and all you want is for them to be back together as a family. Um, yep. So we want to forget the last season. (laughs) We're not going to talk about that though. No. Um, So yeah, it definitely caused a lot of like, you know, tension and you can see the stress that it caused in the relationships, um, you know, between characters that were separated, you really did feel that separation. So it was, um, you know, not lost on them. So like that was quite important, but I think it also helped nurture certain characters that we were still getting to know as individuals. And you would not have been able to have that character growth or realization if they were to have still all been compact together um, and you know, with shorter run times. So I think overall it was a positive for the series. Kelly, I'm gonna go right back to you. One of the big criticisms I read was people were like, why didn't they kill off Max? I know this is tough, but I'm throwing it right back at you. But do you think they should have killed off Max? I do not. I think that for the amount of growth that character showed, the amount of spunk 
that character showed. You can't just have Eleven being, you know, the hero of the story. I think to have a, you know, normal kid like Max who's dealing with her trauma and finding herself and growing into maturity, um, to have her be the hero of this season as I, you know, see her with no superpowers or anything, just her thoughts and ideas and, you know, trying to better herself. Um, I would hate to see a character like that killed off as a sacrifice, even if it were a part of her plan. Yeah, I'm still, I, I also do see your background and I wish you had a rich leather chair and a bottle of scotch right now. But yeah, you have a very compelling argument because I don't have an answer for that because I see on one side, I'm like, oh, it is like, it would have made sense because it would have devastated Eleven and that we could have really put into question the next season because she's always been the hero, but now she didn't act fast enough. Her best friend, one of her best friends dies. And that really puts into question, can they win the day? But at the other end, there's so much you can do with Max. Is she now a vessel for the mind flare? Because they say that her brothers came out and said she's brain dead, essentially. When Eleven tried to get into her mind, there was nothing there. So it's like, will she, what will she serve the purpose of for next season? Will she be an important factor next season? Um, but man, they really teased that, especially when they were doing the the writing in the notepads and she draws a picture of her and Lucas holding hands as a response to go to see a movie on Friday. I was just like, the little tear in the old dad eye got there. I was like, son of a bitch, they're going to kill her. <laughs> it's going to be like Captain America. I'm like, he's never going to dance with her, is he? Oh, God damn it. But uh, no, it's 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 very interesting. And I, I don't have a distinct answer because one, it would have been such a such a way for her to go out as the hero and lead into this trauma for the next season. But the possibilities of her coming back or being used in a different way are also just as equally exciting for me. Uh, and also she she's awesome. So I you know keep her around for one more season. Dan, what about you? Should they have killed off Max? No. Um, and Kelly's right on the money. And I also just want to say that wrong? I, I, I feel like See, I, I never thought going into the last couple episodes that she was in danger um, because when you look at the fourth episode, right, which is everyone's favorite episode, right? And arguably it's like, you know, one of the best sequences, you know, of the series. They, they for me, because you spent so much time building that character within that sequence and it was such a powerful scene for her to overcome that and to escape and to get out of there then for just a few episodes later for then for her to die just it wouldn't it just wouldn't have felt right i mean i I totally get it like you know the whole sacrifice thing you know the whole hero sacrifice thing sure um and it would have been you know obviously extremely you know emotional and effective but i also feel like kind of going back to what you're saying too about like, you know, 11 and feeling guilt. This was, I think they sort of were able to like have their cake and eat it too a little bit. Well, and then favorite phrase of all time. You put well, listen, cake in front of someone, okay, you're going to you eat know it. What? Well, listen, I think it applies here. All right. I like cake. I, they, they, this was sort of um, right. Like Vecna won, but he also lost. Yeah. It's, I think it's a good way. I think it's like a very good vintage way to end a penultimate um, season uh, or series of television. 
because uh right she did die and you know it sort of like opened up it started to open up all the gates but then 11 brought her back um so it was sort of like this hybrid and we can talk about this more about when we get into some of our you know theories and things like that um so i think that's but also i still think you get the emotional resonance of 11 it was just like i feeling like i messed up like i didn't i you know i failed um but also i think in what's one of the more effective scenes too is it's very much towards the end of the last episode where 11 is trying to get into her mind again and it's just it's just black um it's just blank which was you know a very um you know a very yeah a very effective scene for 11 um so i think that look i i think you get i think you get the emotional resonance there um but yeah and i also just like we spent so much time with max escaping from vecna um and it's just a character that is you know just one of the best characters on the show uh gotta keep around for the final season all right this one will be quick the return of the king type ending where it was uh, a lot of people were like my god when are you gonna finish the episode uh to me it felt a little i felt it was necessary uh you needed to have robin have the scene with uh well i forgot her name but it was wonderful that scene especially because my wife kept pointing out they're like they're just trusting the other girl like molly ringwald um it was you needed that scene you needed the eddie closure and i think you needed that big long ending i mean maybe you could have trimmed a couple minutes off of it but i think you needed that and that postscript on this on the episode dan real quick um was the ending to was the post vector too much or good to go no but can i just so all right it's been years since i've seen return of the king the one so the one the what i remember about the Not complaints the podcast, the, the, just just hold on it's all gonna relate back just uh one of the complaints that i do remember though about the ending is like i feel like the complaints were that it was all these endings that didn't really like matter too much like it was all wrapped up right but going going back to what you said it's like that wasn't the case here. I think you needed a lot of this wrap up. Um, you gotta, I mean, you've got to see how Hawkins is after this big event. Um, and also for a lot of the characters that you said with Robin, but also I think, you know, you need to wrap up some of the Nancy Jonathan stuff who, who had not been in any scenes together throughout the whole season. But also like one of the tacked on endings are hello, Hopper and 11 reuniting. Yeah. That was like, you're waiting for that the whole season. Just now, a little people are going to jump on me, jump on me for this. It was a little anticlimactic, though. Like, yeah. don't get me wrong. It was a, it was a good, it was a good moment. But like, like he just walks in. It's like, hey, kid. I mean, could have been built up a little bit better, but it was, it was all fine. Um, so no, I don't think. I, so in my opinion, I don't think this was a return of the king syndrome because uh, all this stuff mattered. So I'm boring. good with it. It's more of an ending like Avatar. I get it. Uh, that's going to be the joke now. I, I'm not that big a fan of Avatar. I don't. Uh, you love it. It's your favorite movie. Uh, we're going to do an Avatar podcast, I'm sure. Uh, so Kelly, um, endings too much, or was it uh, totally justified? I think it was totally justified. I think that we really just wanted to, like we said about like the separation of characters. It was great to get all these characters back together, just to at least um, resecure those connections. And also remind us of certain things like, um, you know, Will, for example, got back to like the creepy vibes. Like once he got back in Hawkins, he's like grabbing the back of his neck and it's just like, 
we remember why this kid is so relevant because he really was like the start of everything too that was weird for his family and Hawkins um it wasn't necessarily 11 that we were aware of it was Will so um that was an important part for me to see him back in Hawkins and to see him experiencing the aftermath of everything that was happening this has nothing to do with the endings but I just remember a line Joyce said to Hopper how she said like we had a funeral for you that woman has had in the span of all these years has had I was two, thinking the same right thinking the same funerals, thing yeah false funerals for two, two for like two of the most important people in life well i guess a lot how of is, i guess a lot of them she, have right how is she is still moving around and walking i have no idea i would be a full blown alcoholic to be honest with you um now let's move into oh come on give me my segments here let's turn into well a segment i like to call never change henderson where uh, we all know who the best performer in this was. We had, we, I dedicated a whole segment to him. But let's talk about an existing cast member. And let's talk about who gave the best performance. I think I'm going to go um, because I feel like everyone's going to say Sadie Sink. So I'm just going to go the opposite way because I just want to give someone else a lot of props because I think Noah Schnapp. Uh, there's so many really good performances, but I love about him in here is like he was such a passenger. Will was a passenger in season three. He really didn't do much of anything. Season one, obviously, he's the focus. Season two, they kind of just recycled it a little bit, where he's like, he's the focus because he's been, you know, the upside down has him again. But I feel that his his two moments where he's basically talking, confessing to Mike how much he loves Mike, but he can't really say it and he's looking away from it. And just the emotion that this character who we've all been waiting to, especially since last season to come out and talk about his love for Mike basically does that, but has to do it in a roundabout way because this isn't 2022. This is, this is 1986. So this was not a common thing to happen. This is, so I think that's the context people have to remember. This was way it's always hard, I can imagine, but it was way harder then because this is not something that was in commonplace. So to see him talking about this and trying to come out to Mike and talking about Mike being the heart of the journey of the of the crew and how he painted this with love and their their his brother is looking back as he knows without even knowing he knows what's up, and then. The other part where he when he, he and, and Jonathan have their scene together and he's breaking down is, is great because he's not even really saying much. He's just reacting to Jonathan and that brotherly connection is there. But Kelly, like you were saying, like when he grabs the back of his neck, when he essentially has a full blown panic attack and starts telling he's like, no, he is still alive. I can feel him. I can feel everything that sets the tone for, oh, my God, this is going to get worse. We can see the the severed land. We can hear all the music we want, but seeing Will, who we've been on this journey with for six years, seeing him react in such a visceral, violent way, where he's basically his body's like cavitating. That performance, if that he doesn't, Noah Schnapp doesn't hit that perfectly. Season five doesn't have the same juice. We don't have that same. Um, suspense for it and i think it was really great and um, i think he did a great job with it so that that's my pick so uh kelly your choice 
okay, so I feel like I've gone on about Sadie Sink. Um, but I do want to say Joe Keery oh, is our boy. my absolute favorite. And you know what? I know that like we got all the memes where it's like if Steve dies, we riot. I have a personal story of when I was buying a um, world's best babysitter tote bag from uh, Think Geek in the Ocean County Mall. This shout out to the Ocean County Mall. All right. Shout out to the Ocean County Mall, Tom right. River, New Jersey. We Hell are yeah. locating ourselves right now. Um, <laughs> this adorable little, like, eight or nine year old, like, you know, rosy cheeks, ginger kid, just barrels right on up to me like a grown woman buying a tote bag like you know just like he he looks at me and he goes your team steve so am i he puts his fist out he fist bumps me and he goes Aww. anything happens to steve we riot it's anarchy and this is a small beautiful child <laughs> and i that think- child at all costs <laughs> I, i'm going to protect that child at all costs i think that the spirit of this child has protected steve for every season to come because it has been like a good five years and every time like a new stranger things comes out i'm like i'm thinking of this kid i'm like this kid we can't let him down that i think they did a really good job this season of really putting steve in and dan going back to the writing you were talking about they wrote it like he was a goner from like episode yeah. as soon as he started catching the feels again for nancy you're like ah oh, shit he's dead when he's talking about like you know when he's talking about oh you know i plan i want to have six kids and take oh, them around and i'm like you're dead I, I was like he's he's not gonna make it um and he's a yeah he's obviously a great character just uh yeah you always like yeah you always like having him around um i think yeah i mean it goes without saying like say you think awesome um I, I think you both have made, you know, really good points about Will's character. Um, yeah, Kelly, it also like immaterial. I totally agree. Like I like I really like the fact that um there's still this like lingering effect with Will and that like going back to season one, because Will was like the catalyst for this whole series, and that like sort of like he can always still like f- you know feel the upside down and sense it um is really good. And Bill, you're right, like the acting, like and he's also it's just it's a lot of internal stuff too. That he has to act through, so he, he it's a he has a very complicated job. Um, they also blow I off think, his birthday. Say that again. They they blow off his birthday. <laughs> like when they go to the roller rink, that's his birthday. That's it. Like canon, that's his birthday, and that was really? a thing. Yeah, and so that's the other reason he's pissed off because it's like it's his birthday. I didn't catch that at all. Blow it off. Wow. And by the way, there's your nostalgia going to a freaking roller rink. <laughs> but anyway, even though I live in a town with a roller rink, but uh. It, uh, Dan, who is, who is? Yeah, I'll throw one other foreign star, and I'm I'm gonna totally butcher the name here. I'm terrible at names. Uh, but but Nancy, uh, Natalia Dyer, I probably butchered yeah, that. That's, but, that's exactly right. It was a okay. very easy name to pronounce. Good job. Okay, whatever. So, I know she's she, on Avatar, but I mean, like, we can. Oh my god, you're really gonna run this into the ground. Yes, um, I, if you've never listened to this podcast, I run jokes into the ground. <laughs> this is literally my existence as a father. Well, whatever. Moving on from uh, the three-hour Avatar. Uh, so I think she is like a full-on general oh, in this season. Such a bad. It, it is awesome. Uh, but I also like what's interesting is she's always a character who, you know, um, always in control. And, you know, her instincts are always right. Even the, even like when she's uh, developing this friendship with Robin, 
and like Robin's really giving her a hard time. Like, yeah, this really was a long shot up, oh, but you know, Nancy's right in the end. But what I also really like is with Nancy though, and you saw too a little bit more of the season is that there's still like this like tremendous guilt that she feels about, you know, the death of Barb. And it's not something that like, you know, she really talks about it too much. And it's probably something that like, you know, she, you know, maybe she handles on her own a little bit. Um, so I think it's a good, it's a very wide spectrum of acting going on there as well. Um, so giving a shout out to that character. But yeah, but I think, you know, look, everyone in this cast is really good. Really, really good. I do love when she saws off the shotgun. I was like, is that illegal? Yes. <laughs> it's just like, it's, everyone's like, Nancy's first reaction to everything is like, get guns. <laughs> it's just listen, like, listen, which is the thing horror in horror and sci-fi. Everyone's like, well, let's do this. It's like, no, get a gun, <laughs> like attack it. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, you know, like, you know, Mike's the heart, whatever. Dustin's the idea guy. But, you know, Nancy is the born leader. She's the they all they all have their roles to play. She is she she is a full on assault. Uh, so she's a tank. Uh, now let's get into the segment of the best character in the show, Eddie. He's he's the fucking best. So let's here's my first F bomb. Uh, let's uh, let's just talk about Eddie. Let's just let's just re- regale ourselves in the wonderful world of Eddie Munson. Um, Kelly, I'm gonna start with you because I feel like you've been holding back all podcasts, just waiting for this moment. Just um, give us your thoughts on Eddie. And not a question I asked before, but is Eddie really dead? I I don't think Eddie is dead. I don't know. Are we going to get into our... We'll get our into what conspiracy, but I just wanted to get that. But your overall, and just your overall thoughts, on, like what made this guy, he has become the character of the show. There is just, there's fan art about him and Chrissy. There's people like, you know, we ha- you have major musicians <laughs> tweeting about how cool he is what is it about eddie that just was made him the man and, and let's not forget stranger things has done a great job of developing side characters bob the brain was a really great sympathetic oh, yeah. good call really good callback tragic yeah. character billy another tragic character i know they tried to make the burger guy like a tragic character in some meme and i'm like he was not in it long enough to do that um but even paul reiser like He's a side character, but he's really a complex, well-written character. Go and um, um uh, what was his name from uh season three? Dimitri. Dimitri, we loved him. Shmirnoff. He was like we felt so bad when he won the Woody Woodpecker, then he got shot by the fake Terminator. I was like, remember, I was like, who who are you talking about? That you're right. Yeah, I do remember him now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. what what do you think it's uh Kelly about Eddie that makes him just like this Uber character that we all kind of want to see come back? Um, so I don't think they were prepared, uh, emotionally for the, like, just like torrential downpour of love that Eddie as a character would receive. Um, the thing that I really locked in on in Eddie is the, the champion of like otherness that his character brought to the screen, um, and, you know, you often see that with uh, like uh, queer characters, not necessarily saying that Eddie was queer, but queer characters often feel that, you know, they're on the outskirts of society. They don't necessarily fit in. They're picked on. They're not understood. And Eddie really um, brought that to the forefront. He made it relatable. I think everybody who grew up kind of feeling like a loser or left out or, 
you know, just like they were never going to belong could relate to Eddie. And the way that he would lean into it and just kind of be like snarky and belligerent. And it's like, you know, you want to be scared of me? Like, you know, I'll be weird. I'll make devil horns at you. I will lean into this persona um, and do it like gleefully. But to um, also have a character like that still be seen with like a group of like bonded friends as a nurturing presence to these young children um wanting to be a protector to these other weird kids uh it's so heartening to see a a male role model like that and i just think that you know there's so much to love about that character and i would hate for him to be gone forever because it was really he was so beautifully written I am almost in tears like that description. That was so <laughs> so nice. Uh, it was really well said. I'm sorry. Hold on. I got to wipe my eye on that one. Um, Dan, what do you think it is about with Eddie that just made everyone just it made just gravitated towards him as a viewer? I, I, I think for me, like, and it goes back to what Kelly was just saying, but I think the line of dialogue for me that sums up Eddie really well is in the first episode and uh, when he's talking to Dustin, he's like, you wore a Weird Al shirt the first day. I thought that was brave. Um, yeah. That's a great line. And just like, because Eddie, and as Kelly was saying, like, as, as Eddie is this, like, you know, this nurturing, you know, guy who's, you know, seeing this kid first day of high school wearing a Weird Al shirt. He's like, hey, come over here. Uh, you know, I got a place for you. Um, but I also, and also, like, honestly, too, at the end, you know, I think Dustin sums up Eddie the best in that hey even in the end he was still eddie he never changed um and that that i mean that really is i think one of the best scenes of the of the season oh, is that last one between so dustin and you know dustin's able to tell eddie's uncle like what a real hero he already was and just also and look i i get it i know we all want to see eddie again i we can get into this later i know but i you know i do think he's dead but i also think like this is you know just his arc was perfect like just for me just my opinion just like leave it alone he gives he gives the uncle the guitar pick um and again it's you know it's also you know sad too because like his you know his name is never cleared um but it's like you know the people that mattered you know they knew what he was really about right so i think it was and again like i said this i said this earlier but like it just it amazes me that like even four seasons in you know, these creators and these writers are still able to, you know, make compelling characters, uh, you know, even four seasons. And they did it this season with Eddie. You know, they did it last season with introducing Robin. Uh, so, again, uh, we, we, we can talk about some more Eddie theories later. I know. But uh, I think uh, I think his arc was perfect. Um, great character. And that's it. Just uh, it was it was. Yeah, I think it was a really good. Um, I think it was a really good idea to have a character like this this season. Really good stuff. I think what they were able to do with Eddie, like Kelly was saying, I, there's so many things about like how he could have just been a fun, like stereotypical character. He could have been Spicoli from Fast Times. Fast Times was referenced how many times in this show, especially that one scene, uh, which I thought was hilarious. He could have just been the aggro metal dude who was like the loose cannon who sacrificed himself in the end. And that still would have been a very good character. But when Dustin says Eddie was always Eddie, but Eddie didn't really know what Eddie was. And I think that's the thing was he didn't know. Who he, he has this idea, but we see so many sides of him. Like even with Bob, like I love Bob, 
But Bob is a very, you know what Bob is. Bob has a very simple through line. Bob always said a thing for Joyce. He'll do anything for Joyce. And he's got a good heart. Eddie is a very complex guy where they're kind of almost, they're in awe of him, but they're afraid of him at first. But then he's easily, he demystifies himself as he's just, I'm just a guy. And he's like, I'm just weird like you guys. And then he discovers so much about himself. And that scene with Chrissy in the park really was, like I said before, it was the defining moment of this is a different character. This is a, this isn't just a one dimensional funny haha. And that's why he was so great. He was willing to sacrifice himself, even though he said he wasn't a hero type. He dove in after Steve, whether he wanted to play off well or I wasn't going to be the only person not going in. No, he dove in and he fought and he joined in and he fought and he was there and he was ready to do it. He didn't have to do it. He could have run way earlier. And I think that was the point is like, he never realized how much of a hero he was. And the Metallica scene is still pretty fucking cool. So like, I, I, I like I have to edit, but I think like, that's like Kelly, you said that like, he was like this inclusion of the thing. And I think also Lucas's line where he says, I wanted to be like basketball, Brad, mm-hmm. I'll just call him. But he really wanted to be with Eddie and those guys because that's who he, that's who he is, and he, he realized he's like that's the type of guy I want to be with—a guy who's going to fight for us and sacrifice himself, not this guy who's going to come off with a friggin' dirty Harry three fifty seven and try and haul off and shoot someone while his buddy tries to beat up a girl, you know, like a. But that, that guy got his come up. It's right in the balls, um, which my wife loved because she is the biggest Erica fan I've ever met in my life. Um, let's get into. Um, Let's get into those fan theories. Let's get into the upside down. I gave these guys two uh, theories to go over. The first theory is, uh, it was given to me by my wife, could one slash Henry slash Vecna be Eleven's dad? Uh, We never know. We don't know who Eleven's dad is at all. And the theory also here is that that, uh, Brenner saw that none of the other kids that had come in were as powerful as Henry. So he decided to intervene and somehow arrange the birth of 11. And then in episode that in next season, we'll get the Darth Vader reveal moment of 11. I am your father. I don't like it. I just think it's, it's too expected. It's a little cheesy and a little cheap. Um, it would be a great shock, but that's where it ends. Uh, because he would have revealed it. He says, I want you to be my side. Why didn't he said, you're my kid? I, I, I don't like that theory. So, uh, Dan, real quick, you, you don't seem to like this one, which I'm finally in agreement with you about something. Yes, I totally agree. And this is, okay, I'm just going to, part, part of this is just because, you know, when we're talking about, important main characters in movies or TVs and their parents. Um, I, I, I've just been scarred of, from the entire Ray fiasco in oh. Star Wars. So, which was I just, just which was, that. which I was just, just a mess that. on 90 Horrible. different levels. So watched it this weekend, it was so bad. Like I just cringed look, again. My brother-in-law was like, Oh, what's the big thing at the end? I'm like, Oh, you'll hear it. And he's like, Oh my God, that's the line you ended on. I'm like, yeah, that's what they did. And he's like, that's stupid. I'm like, yeah, about that. Real dumb. <laughs> so I'm a no thanks on this series. Now, having said, like, I, I get it. Like, logically, yeah. you know, can make sense. Sure. I, I think for me, like, it's just, 
like you know, Eleven's dad. Like we, it, it doesn't matter, and we don't. We, it's nothing. We need to dwell on it. Like here's the thing with Eleven. You know, we just spent an entire season with her confronting her past, facing her past. You know, getting closure on her past and her relationship with Papa and getting her powers back. It is now time to move forward. Something we need to dwell on. Now, look, if, you know, if they want, I'll, I'll give, I'll give the writers, you know, in the Duffer brothers, like the benefit of the doubt. And if it's a plot line that they want to explore, like, you know, maybe, maybe they execute in a way that's compelling and good, you know, okay. But uh, just on its surface, just no thanks. Kelly, does this theory make you want to throw things? <laughs> uh, yeah. And really, I think what comes down to it is uh, my impression of their relationship was definitely more of a kinship. Um, it felt more brother and sister to me. Um, so, I mean, just thinking about it otherwise feels a little gross. Um, and then uh, yeah. I think just yeah. in, in taking into consideration the morality of making that choice, even if it's supposed to be like a backdrop, understanding how her mom had to get pregnant and it's yeah. not a good way to go yeah because that's my whole thing is just like how why bros no we're already in unethical like child experimentation territory i don't want to go even further down Yeah, we saw a lot of kids get murdered this season so let's let's we could and then dan i agree with you move forward the the mom stuff is super powerful and that's a driving force for her the dad does not need to be in there her dad is hopper Let's just let's move on because exactly I'll, I'll get to my theory next. Uh, well, later. Uh, the second theory is uh, the Eddie theory, uh, and I'm going to actually just take a second. I have to read this whole thing so people know what we're talking about. This is something that was tweeted out. I'm going to give credit to the Twitter handle in a second, as long as my computer doesn't do something stupid. This was uh, tweeted out by at uh, Duchess four two zero nine two. So hey. Thanks for this, um, which is basically that uh, she retweeted something. It was someone uh, from a Stranger Things season four group post said, uh, and it's talking about Eddie will come back to life as a character similar to how they gave Vecna or, you know, one Henry, the name Vecna, which is a Dungeons and Dragons character. He will be Kaz. Uh, and they are saying that we didn't see Vecna at the end when Steve went out to chop his head off which is what I'm going to assume Steve would do because Steve's a smart boy. Um, Beckton wasn't there. Uh, and so essentially they would say he's going to find a dying Eddie and then basically take the mind flayer particles, put them into him, and he will essentially be the right hand of Vecna. Uh, but however, uh, this character, Kaz, which is what he would become, he's like a vampire because he was bitten by a bat. And uh, from there, Vecna made uh, Kaz a sword, and later Kaz defeats Vecna after the sword uh, started speaking to him to go against Vecna. And even in the game of, uh, sorry, the game of D&D, Kaz does kill Vecna. This is the way Eddie could come back, where he's basically made a demon soldier of Vecna and the Mind Flayer. So he would be like the third bad guy but eventually turns good and has a heroic arc. There's a lot that's got to happen to make that happen. Oh, hold on. I'm getting a, a getting a, getting a thing from the upside down. Hold on one second. Oh, 
We're getting a transmission from a light bright. Hold on. Al, is that you? Guys, do you hear me? Can you hear him, guys? I can hear him. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Coming in from the upside down is my co-host of the Socially Distanced Podcast, Al Manorino. Oh, my gosh. Is the upside down also down the Jersey Shore? It, it is. It's actually... It's actually in, in Matahawk, New Jersey. Oh my gosh. So That's Al, the you secret. joined in on the back end of the podcast. We will keep going after to get your thoughts, but we're talking about the Eddie theory right now that uh, if you could still hear me, uh, that the Eddie theory about him being reincarnated and becoming a foot soldier of Vecna and the Mind Flayer only to have a heroic turn in the end. Is this the way they bring Eddie back for season five? Or do you think this uh, theory uh, makes you want to throw rocks at a window? It, it doesn't want to make me throw rocks at the window, but um, I'll just, I, I'm going to say no for, for two reasons. Number one goes back to what I said earlier. Like Eddie got a great ending. Like that was it. Just leave it alone. And look, he got to play the most metal concert ever. Right. Um, but also just for the, like, just for the simple reason that they've really already delved into this territory twice um, with Will and then with Billy in season three. So it's like, I mean, I, I guess there, I know, like, it seems like there's some differences in the series, I guess, but um, I just think it's rehashing territory. So I, I don't think so. Kelly, do you want to see uh, Eddie come back this way? Um, You know, I got to say, if it brings my boy back, I am all for it. Um, really, D&D and those... Uh, storylines have been the uh building blocks for this show and it almost feels like um every time they said something would happen and they would play it through that is essentially what we have watched and i i feel that it's a cornerstone of the stranger things lore so um i wouldn't put it past them and honestly i'd be happy to see it uh al um i know you just stepped on a, a hive mind branch over there so just be careful uh yeah, yeah it's called a corgi watch out they yeah bite. they bite especially right in the kneecap yes. um do you want to see eddie come back this way i i don't know i think i'm mixed about it i, I think i want to see more more of my boy uh eddie you sound really crisp in the upside down i gotta tell you oh thank you thank you uh, uh great great acoustics when there's no one else around and you're um, full of vines that's um, true for me i think there's a way to cheat with this i think if the psychological games are being played by the mind flayer and Vecna, because I think we're all kind of think like Vecna is still around. I could easily see them manipulating Dustin by having Eddie return and then turn into some sort of, they said like some sort of like iron maiden, like, you know, Ed Hunter, like beast. Like I could see that as the brief return of Eddie, but not a full fledged return of Eddie. I feel like we'll see him. Much like we saw Billy. This exactly. Time. I was just going to say, yeah, I think so, too. I think that's the best way to get our boy back. Or maybe he comes back in a different way to actually inspire Dustin to do something. So that would be very cool. I would I would very much appreciate that. Um, oh, Al, you've missed some great, great names I've had in this. Um, oh, I didn't come up with one. Uh, so and then finally, let's talk about our predictions for season five. What do we want to see? What's necessary for you to see in season five? For me, a major character has got to bite it. Because, again, they're going up against this major demon. 
they, they, they can't all come out scot-free. I mean, I, they teased it a lot this season, but you can't tease it twice. And I think the guy who might, I think either 11 or Hopper, one of those are going to go. Wow. I'm making a bold prediction, guys. I think maybe not 11, but I think Hopper especially, I think he might he might eat it protecting Joyce in 11. And, you know, I think, you know, maybe maybe Steve or Jonathan. Because Nancy's got to make a choice. It's her decision, but one of them is going to die. And it better not be Steve. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. I think a major character is going to die. And um, that's my big prediction. That's what I, where I think it's going to happen. I could see also Will dying as well, which sucks. Because then you're going to kill him off. And will he ever tell Mike how he really feels? Because I, I actually really want that to happen. Uh, because it would be really nice. Um I don't want that to happen because I don't want to see Will heartbroken. I mean, he's he's already heartbroken. I don't want to see him more heartbroken. Like you literally also don't want to see his heart broken in half because he's dead. Um, Correct. Yeah, it's a good good point. Good point. Uh, Kelly, any predictions or theories you have for season five? Uh, so one that I've been reading up on that seems like it could be quite plausible would be the theory of time travel. We've seen interdimensional travel. We've gotten a lot of clocks this last so season. many clocks. Um, I could see them doing some sort of uh, time travel rather than, uh, you know, psychic power battle. Um, and that could be something similar to what we had seen with, uh, you know, in the MCU. Some characters are sacrificed in order to kind of restore order. To the rest of the world bring back those we've lost we'll have to you know lose a few so could 11 maybe sacrifice herself to you know right the uh just the stability of hawkins in the world i don't know okay okay so that brings the question up if they time travel or do a time hop like the duffer brothers have mentioned do they stunt cast older actors to play the the act the the you know our characters we've known we know and love can you guys see that give me halsey as 11 fuck <laughs> they they look yeah. identical yeah she wants to play halsey in a biopic so it's make know, it happen that could happen dan uh real quick do you think they would they would do a little uh, stunt casting here sure i just ooh the time travel thing is really really got my brain going i feel like because now he's talking about I, the I, no, too, I, and he's like, "Ah, oh, shit!" No, 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 I, no, I, I feel like I like it. Listen, any time Al, travel, time, made, time, tra- Al, time you travel is tough. Avatar jokes for Dan, by the way, amazing. I know. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, they'll time jump into the world of Avatar. I mean, that <laughs> yeah, would, that way, would not not great. the way of water, the way of Stranger Things or whatever it's called. I don't know, but <laughs> you know, listen, exactly whatever. I, I, enough with the Avatar jokes. But what I will say is, time travel. Man, you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, there's no going back. It's time travel is always tough to pull off. Um, you know, there very rarely do I see it done really well. You can think of the obviously the pinnacle examples of this, which is Terminator 2, 
um, well, the first two Terminators and like Back to the Future, but you know, you can also see Looper. it done. You can always Looper too. You can also see it done though really poorly and absolutely ruin a show. I can't even believe I'm about to make this reference. Do it. Um, but is it Felicity? If if, if, if no, if I anybody, if anybody out there listening remembers the show Heroes, yes, which of course, which was one of my favorites, which was Wait. a great, which that first season though was. Like honestly, one of the best seasons of TV I've ever seen in my life. But what happened? They leaned in too heavily to the time travel stuff, and it just completely got off its rocker. Now I, I trust. Now if they want to, if they want to do time travel, and you you want to do sun casting all that stuff, I I I'll kind of what I said earlier. Like I'll give them the benefit of the doubt because I trust these storytellers. We'll see. Um, they can you know, in terms like- of. They could easily flash forward and do like, you know, just like, oh, my God, here's here's a potential future ideal. I, I do have a sense that like I, this is I, I'm not good at the theorizing game, but I, I, I feel like that's why I'm here. I, 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 I feel I feel like there will be like a flash forward of like, um, you know, whatever years later or like getting us to present time where you see these characters sort of like reflecting on everything that's happened, sort of like a Harry Potter epilogue type of thing. I, I feel like that's going to happen, um, but I don't know. Dustin, that'd be great. I'll talk about I'll talk about who I don't think will die. Um, I, I see. I, I don't think it will be Eleven only because like that's such a cliche, like she's the main character, the main hero and like, oh, yeah, she'll make some kind of sacrifice to save everyone. And but so I, I think they're better than that. I don't think we're going to see that. Uh, I mean, but again, it all depends on the context of the storytelling. Um, I also feel like I, I don't think Will will die either only because I sort of what I was talking about with Max earlier. We, we saw an entire season of saving Will. And so it's like you build up all that time for just like a few years later for then to kill him off. I, I just don't see that happening. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're if we're you know looking ahead to um, season five, which I'm sure will be like you know seven short years away or something. Um, I think what's I think what's going to be really complicated about the storytelling, and we're actually they might delve into the time travel stuff. Is like you think about it, all four of these seasons, you know the main crux of the story has been centered around our main cast and everybody else in Hawkins is like oblivious to what's going on, you know? Right. But now you look at this ending. And so like Hawkins is this like weird hybrid of regular Hawkins and the upside down. And so now it's like the entire town is basically aware of what's going on. Um, I think because they've expanded that way, it's going to be harder to tell these stories. So I'm really, I'm really curious to see how they balance that. Uh, Al, are, are you, are you still there? Oh no. He got abducted. Nah, crap. Oh, he's back. Oh, thank God. I thought you were abducted by Becca. I, I had to put him in the bed. He was uh, the demo dog. But, yes. So, okay. A couple things. I, I don't, I, there will be plenty of death. I don't think Hopper would die because he already died. Like it's like it happened already. Even though it was a quick fake out, I don't think he'll die. Die again. Um, he survived Russia, for God's sakes. Um, I will say though, and forgive me if this has been addressed and I completely forgot because it happened like eight years ago. But you were in the upside. You you my tin correct. yeah true my tinfoil hat right wants me to go back to season two which is not a very loved season but i feel like the season five will start with 11 making her x-men like her army 
to fight the mindset because it's just her like she can barely defeat Vecna by herself, let alone defeat the Mind Slayer. So you think they bring the sister back? There's no way they don't bring eight back. That's they have to bring it. They have have to bring it back. That's what my wife said. She's like, oh, they're bringing the sister back. I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) They have to. So that's that's one of the like tinfoil hat theories uh, that I have. And yeah, I think Steve will die, even though he better not. Well, you are the Steve of this podcast. So I know. Well, I'm Love just it. so uh, Kelly is um, as Eddie and you know Dan is Murray. Uh, so <laughs> Murray, uh, Murray, Murray, best character of the season, by the way. I know. And I said I, was, I said I was Hopper because obviously uh, for obvious reasons. Um, I so don't that, have a black belt in karate though. Oh, I'll start working. There's still ten, there's still time, Dan. But Cobra Kai is one of my favorite shows. So uh, that doesn't count. About the same. Uh, so Kelly, did you have any more theories that you wanted to throw out there about season five? All right, cool. All right, so we got our season five theories out there. So Al said he thinks the the, the eleven sister eight is going to show up to be part of her team. Needs an army. They need they need they need some soldiers, and I don't think Will's cutting it. All right, so let's get into our final segment, which is uh, a surfer boy pizza with pineapple, uh, and that is uh, Al. Don't worry, we're going to continue this episode, and you'll be subjected to all the great names. The Surfer Boy right. Pizza Pineapple, which is basically we give our final thoughts on this season overall, and then we're going to rank it on a scale of one to ten pizza dough refrigerators filled with salt water. So I came up with that. That's the only time I let you be creative. Very, um, very happy about it. I know. Uh, so Al, you're going to give yours last. So right, Kelly. Uh, guest, you know, guest of honor. Uh, no offense, Dan, you're here to promote your own podcast, uh, is um, w- scale one to 10 pizza refrigerators filled with salt and stuff. Um, you're fine. You know, give it your rating, but give us your overall thoughts on this season. Um, honestly, I'd uh, give it a nine refrigerators filled with so salt. So you're putting the pineapple on the pizza. Is what you're saying. I'm putting the pineapple on the pizza. My dude. Um, it- you know what it it really took everything that loved about season one and then like carried on the rest like i i really enjoyed season three the horror elements you know were really up in the ante i feel like it took all those things it matured them and it also gave us stellar character development and great story arcs so really dug it dan well, listen, I think, you know, I think anytime you have an episode of TV where there's a dude playing Master of Puppets in an alternate dimension to distract killer bats, while on the other side of the country, there's a character that's jumping into the mind of another character while in a pizza dough freezer. Um, and oh, yeah. Me- meanwhile, you know, in a Russian prison, there's a guy who picks up like the sword of Excalibur and slices the head off monster that doesn't have a face. You know, I think when all that is happening in the same episode, I would call that really good television. I love this show. Um, I can't wait to see where it goes next. I would give it, I would give it nine avatar jokes out of 10. I really, really dug it. Yes, I win. Uh, I desperately wins. Uh, For me, um, listen, I'll put that pineapple on a pizza. And I'm going to say that I'm also going to go a nine and a half um, pizza dough, pizza dough refrigerators, avatar jokes, because I'm writing a piece uh, on the popbreak.com. Uh, why this, I think this is the, the best season since the first one. I mean, when you talk about 
pop culture relevancy, which doesn't often translate to quality, but this is the most I've heard people talking about this show in a long time, people being so emotionally invested, people fearing for the lives of characters because, you know, the release, the, the, you know, the separated releases help. So this way you keep the conversation going, but they were so invested more in Steve than ever before. Eddie captured everyone's hearts. Um, The will stuff was wildly captured captivating everyone you know robin was more interesting everyone was more interesting somehow everyone became more interesting and that's so wild the run times allowed characters to grow it allowed stories to percolate and develop and actually grab you in the themes that we talked about of horror and trauma like really are well one super creative but so relatable that we could grasp onto it uh, Kelly said it so wonderfully about how Max and Eddie, how we can relate to what they're going through with their universal stories. And it just didn't feel like fan service or funny haha or here's it's it felt like there were so many more stakes, much like episode, uh, sorry, season one. We didn't know if these kids were going to be eaten by aliens or monsters. You know what I mean? And so and I feel like the performances, the music, everything blended together so wonderfully because you had a villain that was so tangible that it made you fear for the lives of the characters. And I think they've done an excellent job just taking an already excellent series and making it even better, which is like something a lot of shows can never do uh, of replicating their best season. I think they did that here. So Al, what do you got? Since you have-, have no idea what you think about the season. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I hated it. No, I'm kidding. I have to agree. I have to agree. Nine five, man, for me too, because uh, I think this is the most fun I've had with the show since season one. I think season one was this like unexpected, incredible moment in pop culture where you know it was like, have you watched Stranger Things yet? Have you watched it? Like, like that was the of the year. That was the big thing for us, and uh, you know season two sophomore kind of slump a little bit and then three I, I really enjoyed but people were not as bill was saying i don't think people talked about the show as much as they did this season um like compared to any of the other show any of the other seasons um three i loved i really did i love the whole mall like it kind of like centered at the mall sure. as a fan of the movie mall rats um but this season, man, it was so, I think because of the time, because of the huge amount of time that they had to actually work, you know, and, and film and post-production and all that kind of stuff, it made it such a cohesive story. And I remember before the show even aired, how people were complaining, oh my God, the finale is like two and a, you know, two and a half hours. I'm like, I want it to be longer. Holy shit. Like, like there was no wasted moment. It felt all kind of perfect. And they really had the time and you could feel like the heart in every single scene across the board from set design to the acting and the writing, everything, everything was pretty stellar from start to finish. And I truly, truly, truly enjoyed it. And uh, I'm now very sad that we have to wait longer for the finale. Also major credit to Mike's mom's hair, which is always was super on. Uh, no, 
really just like a round of applause for the worst parents on television literally <laughs> all the, i mean and, and kelly around. kelly you remember i i mean we've been friends for a long time then I, I i did like a tweet or a facebook post about like who are the worst pop culture parents they're up there they're still not the worst but they are up there they definitely it's are. definitely still the twin peaks parents like any oh, of the parents of Twin Peaks, they're the worst. worst. They're the absolute worst. I can't wait to do a Twin Peaks episode. We gotta do that. We have. No, no one wants to offer up any big Ted Wheeler theories. Oh, I think he like he will survive. He is a <laughs> he, nothing bad. He is like he is like an early Trump supporter. He oh is like my a, god, he so is. He's so, he's such a piece of shit. Oh know. my god, you, you can't trust the media. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like you're the worst person on this show and hey, you're great yeah um i saw him elsewhere in another show i'm like oh my god and he he wasn't like that i was like this is so weird he's not a jerk um all right guys so before uh so kelly and dan if you want to hang around while i go into the upside down and ask al the exact same questions i asked you you are more than welcome but uh this is where we're going to plug our social media then i'm going to go jump through a uh, a hole in my ceiling and end up talking to al about the same questions and i'm so, going to cut the rope uh yeah great uh <laughs> how am i going to get home from it oh wait i can walk to my mom's house from your place sure. um and uh let's plug our social media let's Find out where people can find the internet. Dan, you have a new podcast coming out Saturday. I do. Uh, very happy. Very, very excited. Uh, first of all, you can find me at D. Cohen Writer. Um, let me just say this. Uh, if you are a Batman fan, this podcast that is premiering on Saturday is required listening. Uh, it's called the Batman by the Numbers podcast. Uh, and it is all about batman and we'll be leaning heavily into rankings um discussing a wide variety of batman topics movies a lot uh definitely get into some tv stuff probably some comic stuff too um and in the pilot episode which bill bog can join me for as well as podcast editor alex marcus it is a it is a podcast that i think we're still i feel i think we're still recording somewhere um in a multiverse um it is epic but it is every worth every minute. Uh, we just flat out rank all the Batman movies, yeah, and we discuss yeah. we discuss all of them. And which movies did we include? How did we rank them? Uh, did someone on the panel not rank Batman and Robin last? You are going to have to find that information out when you listen to the podcast coming up very soon. Uh, so I am very excited though to do this. Uh, be a monthly podcast and again let me just say this uh if you were a fan of batman fan of gotham city fan of gotham city's uh you know greatest defender the dark knight required listening can't wait to do it okay and you can find that on the breakcast feed which you can find from pop breaks radio network of course you can find that on all your favorite streaming platforms okay dan besides plug your social media and plus we also had some pop culture recommendations and some other stuff if you want to put that out there Sure. Uh, you can find me at Decone Writer. Uh, I definitely have to crank up uh, the old Twitter now. Now that uh, I got a podcast going, I got to dust it off. Um, I think the last time I tweeted, I think I mentioned this on the Batman podcast too, was uh, ironically enough when I wrote a 10 year retrospective on The Dark Knight. I think that was the last time I tweeted. So, but that is going to be going soon. So at Decone Writer, pop culture recommendations. All right, I'll throw out two quick things that I watched. Uh, uh, if you're a sports fan, um, on Netflix, I would recommend watching Hustle. 
It's very good. It's a very like by it. the numbers, very by the numbers sports movie. It's not reinventing the wheel here, uh, but it's really good, super likable, and it's under two hours, which in this day and age with movies, I appreciate. And then one other recommendation, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, uh, on Paramount Plus, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Let me just tell you that if you are a Beavis and Butthead fan, that is also, that is required watching. It is like, they they have not missed a beat. Absolutely hysterical. All right, Kelly, where can people find you if you want to be found on social media? All right, y'all can find me at Kelly at the Movies. I am on Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, and maybe coming soon, TikTok. Who knows? I'm scared. You should be. Don't do it. I gave Al shit last week for doing it. (laughs) Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> and what are your, uh, your the recommendations you had to? Uh, recommendations? I mean, really, I've been so uh, immersed in Stranger Things. But uh, in terms of cinema, I saw quite a delightful period romantic drama. It is called Mr. Malcolm's List. While not necessarily reinventing the formula for that genre, it does establish a lot of fantastic actors, people of color in Regency roles, and is overall just a delight and a wonderful break from reality. So recommend if you just want a little bit of a break. Um, other than that, looking forward to Marcel the Shell with shoes on. Nice. Al, I mean, we're still gonna talk. So do you want to get you want to plug your stuff? Uh yeah, I'll be I'll be quick. Uh you can find find me at Al Manorino on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I've done recently. Uh you'll probably see photos of Jack Johnson soon. Yeah. We'll see. Um, and uh I just took photos of the chicks. Literally, that's why I'm so late to this podcast. No, you're the not chicks. You're in the upside down. Oh, yeah, I'm in the upside down. The chicks at PNC. That was cool and hope to have some more stuff this month. And then pop culture recommendations. Oh, man. Oh, you know what? Um, I I feel like I recommend them every year because they always have something every year. But the new EP from Weezer, the uh, part of the seasons uh, project that they're doing each uh, the beginning of each season, they are releasing a a whole new EP of music based kind of like on that season and like the folklore and things like that. So they released spring earlier this year and now they release summer and it's awesome. It's really fun. Very guitar heavy, very uh, uh, energetic. It's kind of like a, a cross between uh, the white album, which is my favorite Weezer album and uh, Van Weezer. So it's kind of like almost like a, uh, continuation of van weezer in the uh you know 80s kind of guitar riffs and stuff very very fun so yeah check that out it's a good good album as for me i am the editor-in-chief of the popbreak.com which you could check out every single day we're doing some great stuff just posted some awesome photos of the dave matthews band at the pnc bank art center um by kim wessels which was a really cool um which is a really cool shoot and a really cool write-up very personal, very awesome. And also check out our interview with Mo coming up real soon. They'll be playing Seaside Heights for some reason uh, coming up this weekend. Um, as for me, um, you can follow me at Bodkin Writes. I do a lot of stuff besides being the co-host of Socially Distance Podcast. I am the Bill in the Bill versus the MCU podcast. That drops once a month. Our next episode drops in a couple of weeks where we're going to be talking about uh, my, the whole point of that podcast is I've never finished the MCU, so now I'm doing it. Uh, next episode, we're talking about Captain Marvel. I'm finally going to watch Avengers Endgame and Spider-Man 
uh, Far From Home, which actually I've already seen. Um, I am also part of the TV Break podcast, um, which is our monthly TV pod, uh, monthly TV podcast to do with Alex Marcus. He's also my co-host on Bill vs. the MCU. And uh, last month we just did, or this month I should say, we just reviewed Maya Rudolph's new show, uh, Loot. I will have two pieces on Stranger Things coming out as potentially something on Westworld and an Irish surfing documentary because I'm weird and that's what I do. And I'll also be on the Detoxicity podcast with my buddy and former um, socially distanced co-host, Mike Haliger. Uh, we're going to be talking about mental health. Uh, I'm going to be go getting real serious about the last two years of my life. So if you really want to get inside my head, that's a podcast for you. So um, Dan and Kelly, like I said, if you want to hang out, you're more than welcome. If not, I have to go crawl through a hole. So I will be in one second. Hello, everyone. Good evening. Welcome to the 511th episode of the Distance Socially podcast. My name is Bill Bodkin. I'm currently in the Upside Down uh, talking to Al Manorino about the questions I've already asked our previous two guests who are still going to hang out. Al, you watched Stranger Things? Uh, they don't have TV in the Upside Down. Well, they just have you... uh, They just have this Demi Corgan. Uh, the Debbie Demi Corgan. Well, before you got, you know, jumped into a lake, you know, you did watch this season. I did. And uh, let's um, let's get into our first segment, which is called "Pass the Duchy on the Left Hand Side," which Incredible. is, of course, which is where we talk about uh, our th- thoughts and feelings about Stranger Things heading into season four. We had all these uh, things happen. You know, we had 2019. The world was okay, but. Then everything went to shit and Stranger Things was filming. When you were heading into season four, what were your thoughts, concerns, excitement? Tell me about it. Yeah, I just um, the big thing for me was uh, this was a huge show for my wife and I. There aren't a lot of shows that we like religiously watch together, but this was something I couldn't say like, oh, you could watch an episode. I'll, I'll, I'll catch up. This is something we had to. It was like appointment viewing television. And of course, she's. Uh, pregnant with her second child so you know it's it's tough for her to like stay awake and things like that she is off right now so she's uh, watching our our son during the day so um, making that time was like super special to get to watch this so heading into the the new season um, I don't think I had any like super expectations outside of like I hope it's as good as season three it was more about like I'm so excited to sit down and actually watch this with her because it was such like a, you know, we've been watching it since day one. You know, even though you said all those nice things, she's not. Oh, she's never listened to this podcast ever. She never will. Nope. Same, 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 same. Uh, The next question, the next segment is called Don't Be Afraid with a big Vecna claw coming right at your skull. Um, What a weird thing to say to someone, by the way. Like, don't be afraid. Okay. As I'm going to like murder you. That's such an odd such an odd thing to say to well, someone. No, that's something an absolute psychopathic monster with vines growing around no, their body. Was but like, I don't know. It's not really like assuring. It's like, all right, sure. Um, the reason I called that was because yeah, so much of the so much of the season was based in horror, and I don't mm-hmm. know if you're a, much of a horror a horror guy. Um, did the horror and the more mature uh, aspect of the show and the themes did that work for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I saw a lot of comparisons to like Nightmare on Elm Street, 
and like i don't know if that is necessarily a um like i honestly because i'm not i'm not a big horror movie person uh, opposite of 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 kelly uh a guest on this podcast but who is who like nancy is currently brandishing a shotgun and is ready to kill <laughs> anything she has jumped through the hole and she is bounced for off. sure yeah for yeah sure. i i I love the horror elements of it. As someone who doesn't like necessarily like goes out of his way to like watch horror movies, I do like, you know, thrillers and things like that of that nature. So uh, I thought it worked really, really well. I, again, I kind of think they put out all the stops with this one because of the, the amount of time that has passed. Um, so I think they just put added extra detail into the music, you know, and the score and um, I just, making it feel really really terrifying at times uh, especially kind of um exploring the the vastness of the upside down that we haven't really seen before and also did the um did the you know you know skeletal implosions that they had of all the victims oh. um tell me how you tell me how you felt about that it was i mean it was, i mean watching uh was it chrissy die in the in the in the first uh, i guess it was the first episode yeah. um yeah i mean we there were some cringing and uh megan uh my wife uh you know uh, covering her eyes and things like that or burying her f- face in her cell phone uh to to not see she's not a big gore fan or, or uh you know just seeing blood even though obviously it is not real um her brain cannot process that i guess so yeah there were some times where it was just like wow they're going all out and like i remember even in the last episode of you know uh, Max trying to kind of go to her happy place and escape back then going to the snowball and then sh- stuff just starting to explode blood. I'm like, whoa, this is cool. Now, one thing uh, that Kelly and I, we and Dan had spoken about was that Vecna was not a pile of CGI goop. He was played, you know, there are practical effects. He was a person in a suit. Yeah. Did that make him more of an effective villain? And did that, you think, really intensify the suspense and horror elements of the season? It wasn't until the the reveal of who Vecna was where I really started to pay attention to all the details of him and the practicality of it. Because I think at first I thought it was very reliant on CGI where it might not have been at all, but it just kind of felt like it. Cause I wasn't, there wasn't an attachment to that character yet. Like it was still a mystery of who he was and what he was and things like that. And um, I think early on uh, me just being very dumb while watching this was like when they were talking about the guy who they went to visit in the hospital I thought they were referring to him and he was going to be Vecna before they even got to the hospital. So like, that's how my dumb brain was working. So it's like, I couldn't, that's what they wanted you to think. I know, but I couldn't connect to him yet. And then it wasn't until the reveal that he was uh, spoilers uh, one um, that it, I really started to like pay more attention to him. And uh, I love that. I love that they weren't making him a big CGI monster because that's literally what season five is going to be is a big CGI monster, but a fucking cool looking one. That's all that matters. Uh, Kelly. Fucking tornado spider. <laughs> Kelly. So Albert, a point we didn't talk about was he felt connected to Vecna as a villain by the last episode of part one. When did you really 
get into Vecna as a, a like a frightening villain? Uh, I would say once they started to um, interchange the storylines of um, young Henry and his backstory, and then Vecna as a um, a very human villain. Um, but I, I do suppose it started a little bit before because he is our first villain who clearly speaks um, and is very talkative and you know, you can hear that language. I think that's something that it was inferred that Will could always hear. Um, but now we are oh, being okay. introduced to that voice. So I do think that the connection um, becomes clearer sooner on. One thing I didn't bring up, that I was just thinking about was when it's like, when it really starts to hit is the manipulation of when it's the nerdy kid, when he hears that clock is just frightening in general. Yeah. But that nerdy kid, when he sees the funeral in the woods, like Chrissy was like, it was more like she was being like a memory of her mom, like berating, you know, that was very scary. And that's where Vecna first, like as a character first got me because it was very classic horror movie. But that stuff, like where it was like the maggot, all the rotting food and people like that stuff. I'm like, okay, that's scary, but it does. I don't like he's and he's a scary character. But when he did that whole thing where he created this whole funeral in the middle of the woods and everyone's blaming this kid it's like now this is more of a psychological warfare as opposed to oh he's made everything scary and he's now playing with people's minds and emotions um that's when it really hooked me i was like oh god he is even worse than we thought that was my thing so uh our next segment is this is music where we talk about licensed music that's like music we all know that ends up in the series season we talked about um you know season one had should i stay or should we go now season two i totally remembered it what it was kelly and then i forgot just now uh but there was a song in there uh but then we of course we had the never ending story in uh, season three but of this one of course we had passed the duchy we had uh, a, a remix of Journey Separate Ways. We had, of course, Master of Puppets and Running Up the Hill and um, Dream a Little Dream and Every Breath You Take, which was the song from season two. Now it all makes sense, but I'm in the upside down, so things don't always make sense. Uh, Al, talk about the use of just music that we're all familiar with. And were you familiar with this Kate Bush song? Because Apparently only Kelly was because we're a bunch of stupid dudes who only listen to Metallica. Me and Dan at least. Okay. So love the music in this season, just like every other season. Uh, you know, it's it's the nostalgia show and 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 they're very good at what they do. I thought the music choices were amazing. I thought I I I'd seen a spoiler of Eddie with the guitar, like in advance, but I didn't know what, you know, I figured he would play the guitar at some point, but the fact that he was on top of a trailer playing master of puppets um, was insane. And I'm like, Oh my God, Bill and Lucas are going to die when they see it, this. And then they did. Um, so I thought, yeah, the music was great. And I, I was familiar with running up the hill, but I don't know why. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm like, why do I know the words to this song? And I can't, I, for the life of me, I don't know if it's from a remix or a deep, like a club 
version of a song or or if it was in something else but were you the life a lot of, of shapes into the uh into the ether were you were you going to rave sal <laughs> potentially i mean i don't know but it, i don't know why it's just, the, the the it was very familiar um also um there is a thing on tiktok you son of a bitch that i can't get out of my head and kelly i don't know if you know this but it's like the guy singing um the the lyrics about it but it, it's it's him making a deal with god with the two avocados for ten dollars it's yep. the dumbest thing bill i will send it to you right. it is so stuck i sing it every day <laughs> it's so dumb and that's tiktok for you um but yeah that song's fantastic i love that it gave uh kate bush her first number one hit in the u.s and probably a lot of other places in the world which was pretty amazing um because she's a very influential artist obviously uh to bands that i listen to so very very cool uh but yeah it's a song that i feel like i've heard and i don't know why and i have to track down the reason at some point but i'm too lazy so of this music that was used that you know is very recognizable which one or which scene did it work the best in i mean i I, master puppets is fucking insane uh i think the first um when we hear uh running up the hill when max is in the in dear billy when max is in the uh graveyard and she's up in the air like that's pretty sick and kind of like iconic i think for like this season but i i mean eddie rocking out to master of puppets was pretty awesome he should have been a guitarist by the way and like you know maybe graduated high school and didn't die in the upside down spoilers or did he we'll or did get into he? that <sighs> Now let's talk, let's get into my the best segment name I've ever come up with, which is the Purple Palm Tree Delight, uh, which is your favorite moments from the series. Kelly, f- feel free to bag on Al on any of these. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I mean, I mentioned the, uh, the Dear Billy episode was pretty fantastic. And uh, the actress uh, who plays Max. Same was, Thank you crushed it this season because you know she had to do a lot of the heavy lifting as the kind of the main act main actor throughout the season uh in a very crowded season uh of this show they're they're constantly adding to the cast and we are following you know characters that we've met in the first scene of season one right so um i mean kudos to her and uh and especially that episode but like moments that i loved um where basically anything with Hellfire Club, I thought was great. Um, I think the, I think I think I I loved a lot of the show. I think the thing that I disliked. Um, we'll get into that. Okay, so we'll, let's well let's do that because I can I can wax poetic about everything um, that I really liked about this season. I will only have a little bit to say about what I did not like. So that segment is called Satanic Panic. Were weird. I, I, so I picked out stuff that from Twitter and uh, a review from EW about stuff that was negative. So I want to get those bullet points, like go some lightning round stuff on that. So some criticisms included less overt 80s nostalgia. Was that's, that? That's dumb. Well, people like nostalgia. So no, I, I mean, I, I don't know where they're seeing less besides the soundtrack. And I've already mentioned that, like, it's obviously an homage to movies like nightmare on Elm street and Carrie and, and things like that. Like there's so many, you know, glimpses of like, you know, eighties and 
seventies and eighties and stuff. And uh, yeah, like the fashion, the well, eighties California, like things like that. I mean, I just feel like they kind of nailed it with that stuff. And and if uh, you know Eddie as a person was so fucking eighties, well, <laughs> or was- or current day Lucas Jones, I guess. Yes. Uh, we do have a picture of him dressed in spandex interviewing Steel Panther. And we do. Unfortunately, that got lost. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. yeah, I blame Al for that. And is you or, should. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Uh, is so I think they were talking about this like less 80s stuff, you know, like it was like, oh, look at this store, look at this thing, you know, and it was like everything was cute and in the 80s, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Dumb. Uh, the Russia plot. Could you have done without? the russia plot or could they have condensed it a lot of people um, think it dead stopped a lot of the show no no i loved it i loved it i loved how we were on three corners of the world basically kind of to you know we were in hawkins we were in california and we were in russia and all of it felt necessary especially when it got towards the tail end of each of the uh, each of the storylines and where it all came together and all made sense so I love that. And then are they the same people who are complaining that it's not 80s enough? Because no. having Russia in it is super 80s. You need it. Which is exactly what Kelly said. So that's why so I, that's why Kelly and I are friends. Yeah. yeah. Continuing to separate characters into teams. You have to, man. I because now we're gonna get this the super team up in season five. You needed to put them apart. Just like in any great story, you need to get them apart and then bring them all together. And that's what it did at the end of this season to set up five. So um, I thought it would be it would be bad. It would be retreading a lot, especially with season three. Season three, they were in that mall a ton. It felt very big group setting. So I was a big fan of how they really were separated throughout the entire season, which is kind of rare. I think they would, you know, a normal show uh, or even Stranger Things season two, like back then, if they had not learned their lesson, like they would have had all of them come together at the end of this to defeat Vecna. They didn't. They had them all in their separate spots that we kind of started it. I was a big fan of that. Now, Kelly, I want you I want you to reiterate your point on this um, because you had a great I thought what you said was great. They didn't kill Max. That was a big complaint. They should have killed Max. So Kelly, you said no. And I want you to reiterate that point because it was so great. I said no, because you look at this young human girl who is going through her own trials and tribulations. She is coming into her own. She comes up with a plan and it's a good plan. She has to fight so hard and she does not have the powers that Eleven has. She's just going on her own merit and her own strength. And I think to lose a character like that, that so many young people can relate to in that way would be absolutely tragic. I think Max has a greater story to tell and I would like to see how they continue her storyline from here on out. I, I totally agree. And I think it'd be interesting now that her and Eleven have been connected in this way. It would be almost interesting if they if she woke up and had powers. 
it'd be interesting if they did something like that. It's almost like she earned them after literally almost getting murdered, uh, you know, in the upside down and in real life and everywhere. And I feel like there's such, there's so much of a connection between her, her 11 and Vecna that there should be some residual like powers. I think it'd be interesting. That is kind of interesting. And I'm assuming that neither of you have seen any Cronenberg movies. Oh, I mean, I saw the Cronenberg episode of Rick and Morty. (laughs) Okay, cool. Close enough. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, right. You know, it's the same thing, right? Cronenberg Um, episode. Hold on. I have to also see if I have. So really just in a nutshell, people with powers, kids with powers, weird kids doing weird stuff. Cronenberg had a movie called Scanners, and it is essentially about the almost adult adolescence of these people who have telekinetic powers. Um, long story short, because I know you guys are not going to watch it in the very end. This like is it. much more evil and nefarious, but um, two brothers have a psychic battle of the minds. Uh, one brother, the good brother looks to have been killed but he then takes over the body of the bad brother and Mm. continues his life on i do wonder if there could be a positive twist in between this max and 11 story maybe somehow max comes to live on in 11's body and 11 sacrifices her body so Mm. that max could live forward interesting i did see eastern promises by the way all right so so did i forgot that was Cronenberg sorry yeah uh, I just remember it was Vigo naked uh fighting in the, the shower yes that I remember it's the, the double thing to the throat um yeah. I actually like that a lot I was on a big Vigo kick I think I also feel like in the same month saw a history of violence which is also directed movie. by Cronenberg yeah also a, a, a comic book adaptation so I actually like that idea that Max would be taken over by 11 would be the that because you need someone or that or eight because eight was not the best so like somehow she transfers it there yeah i could and they it's like a duel like those two are the one who take down that would be pretty cool i like that a lot go with the simplicity of her getting powers i don't want to see max in someone else's body i just want to see max no max with someone else's powers that's what i'm saying oh yeah i'm cool with that too Kelly, this is why I'm so glad you came on this journey in the Upside Down. Now, just shoot that thing over there for me, thanks. Um, <laughs> um, so, Al, you said you did have some issues. That yeah. Picking stuff that you want to bring up, and this is where we could tell you you're wrong or make another Avatar joke, which we did for about an hour. Okay. Oh, yeah, sorry. The, the one thing I did not like, and I mentioned this on Twitter, is I am so tired of the weird girl in the town is hated by the entire town it's the dumbest shit i've ever seen in my entire life i'm so tired of this weird 80s trope of like oh she's getting bullied let's all join in together as a group of like a 500 and not like this person it is so unrealistic it's weird if if any one normal person with a good heart saw what was happening they would say, hopefully say something, or at least like point a cop in the direction of this. And I don't know. They did I just, point a cop at her after she hit him with a roller skate. You're right. Sorry. But like, I don't know. It's just such a weird, dumb trope. And I understand it 
I get it. I already said the the carry kind of connection. Like there's it literally it happens in the roller rink, but like, oh man, I'm so tired of it. It's a it's bad. It was bad then, it's bad now. Stop doing it. Kelly, I'm gonna let you answer first. Um yeah, you know what? That was a bit of a point of contention. Um, you know, although as someone who was bullied in middle school, sometimes it really does feel like 500 people. Yeah, yeah it does. Absolutely hate you. I was you I, listen, I was when you I were was, 13 year old. <laughs> I was bullied too, but it's it just like again, that's it's, before you had muscles. It's <laughs> it's the it's the town-wide bullying. That's the thing. It's like it just it's such a weird concept to me. I understand like the one or you know, the group of kids that aspect but when it becomes like let's take over the roller rink to torment this girl that's where it gets weird okay so i saw your tweet and did not have the energy to respond to you good call then forgot because that's what i do yeah i think it was just done on purpose too because it's taken so many homages from 80s movies that it's just like okay this is what happens in an 80s movie so it's just like we're going to do it again. Not that it's just like, we don't, yeah. we don't have fresh ideas. I know. I understand. That was the point. That's, that's my whole thing. It's like, I get right, it. But, with, but with that, with that mentality though, then they could do like, I don't know, any 80s sex comedy and just throw that in there. Cause that's aged. Well, no, they're all bad. <laughs> they're all not good. You mean the learned from that. relationship is not an 80s sex comedy. Come on. I'm just saying, man. I'm just if I if I had to nitpick, that's my only nitpick with this entire season. And it's not even that big of a deal. Uh, but again, it it is made up to be a big deal. And she she assaults a girl with a roller skate and they brush it off. Paul Reiser brushes it off as oh no, it's fine. We'll take care of that. And that's the last we hear about it. So it's a lot of buildup. And this big, big thing, as I break my entire desk and podcast arm. And then it's like, all right, moving on. Well, they had had to shoot up the house. That was fucking awesome. Like, Can we talk about things that I loved? Yeah. Let's go back to that. That go. was a great scene. That, that the whole tracking shot with the with the two like agents like go over there, go down, down, down. I was like, that's so cool. Kelly, what do you think about that scene? I you know what? I gotta respect that general because like he really is just getting shit done. He is plowing through people and he is like he's like taking no prisoners. It's just like, you know what, these people are useless to me, like whatever i'm just going to continue on until i hit my target so good on them for creating such like a steely character that isn't convinced by anyone's like bullshit he really is on a mission yeah he's also rooted in like not one bit of fact it's it's all just opinion it's yeah Mm -hmm. it's probably her fault Fuck anyone in my way. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to straight up murder you. I'm surprised he didn't shoot Paul Reiser's wife when she says him. He's like, you know, oh, what? Man, that would have been terrible. I, mean, I know, but he's not a good guy. Uh, but I, what I loved about that scene was you kind of forget about it because so much happened, but it was such an explosive moment of just like violence that we're not 
used to in this series. We're used to fistfights. We are absolutely used to it. We're not no, used no, no, to seeing no, no. those characters. In no, 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 no. I'm talking about human on human people shooting each other and killing each other. We're used to monsters and violence and, and, and people in fistfights. But all of a sudden, it's just like we're opening gunfire and we don't care if we murder children because... Yeah. We're looking for 11. We've never really hit that level. And we see a lot of human on human violence in this season where in, unarmed people are running away from the in the Nina project are mowed down by the government. Yeah. Like we've never seen that. before. So it takes like and I wonder extrapolate this if that's going to be played into the next season where we're going to see people fighting against each other. And P- like Vecna taking over people, like you know, invasion of the body snatchers or something like that, because we've played into different types of human elements here, and you know, the thing and other stuff was played in there, taking over people. Could just people be killing people? Is that part of the horror that's going to be part of the next season? Probably. I feel like you were going to say something that didn't want to cut you. Um, uh, you know what? That is a very good point because we. Uh it almost pales in comparison because you're still so focused on what you think the big bad evil is that you forget that humans tend to be more evil than our worst imagination. And so you got satanic panic, you got gangs like, you know, religious gangs, like running around Hawkins, super paranoid, like going on a witch hunt. Um, You have those, uh, two torture scenes, one where the general is torturing that one uh, agent that was trying to protect the kids. And then you have uh, Hopper's torture scene. And, you know, that whole experimentation going on over there and like the, you know, human like workforce, like whatever they're doing, the prisoner workforce. Um, So yeah, lots of uh, scary stuff with just humans, human on human violence um, that I think you can easily overlook if we were not having this discussion. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did see it in season three where that Terminator guy kills Dimitri, but it's also, that's one guy he's, a, he's, and then now it's just like, we're getting full shootouts. So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like we're seeing a lot more of that. I'm wondering if we're going to play into that. So let's get into uh, a segment called never change Henderson, which is uh, our favorite performance from an existing cast member. So someone who was in seasons one through three, uh, Al, your favorite performance. Now, I'm just giving you, uh, Kelly had Sadie Sink. I went with Noah Schnapp. Uh, Dan went with uh, Natalia Dyer. And uh, so who do you have? I could remember the actor's name. The dude, the dude who played Eddie, I thought he was fantastic. Um, uh, listen, you're entering a show, not well, a show. Well, you're first entering- of all, so we're, we're, taking, we're taking Eddie out because oh. of his own segment. Oh, Eddie gets his own segment. Oh, besides Eddie, besides Eddie, that's Joseph Quinn, by the way. Yeah. Joseph Quinn. Um, yeah, no, it, I mean, it have to be Sadie, right? Yeah, no. Oh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, Maya Hawk. Oh, what a choice. What I mean, listen, Maya Hawk. What 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 is there left to say uh, after season three, where she kind of just exploded into, uh, you know, pop culture? um and this show and made such an impact and didn't die which is good for a new character on the show um now entering uh going into her you know third season of the show and the final season she's great every scene with her and steve is magical i love uh, the scoop troop um they are uh you know a blessing and uh 
she's so good in every scene and and her this season trying to there's a few things going on with like every character and it's like you know everyone's kind of multi-dimensional in that way and you know she's her and steve are both trying to find love and hers a little more complicated because she's you know um uh homosexual and basically in the closet and thinks that she has uh found a girl in her band um that she likes and steve is trying to you know persuade her to you know talk to her and go after her and you know um we're seeing those mixed emotions we're also seeing her trying to make other friends outside of steve with uh with uh god i can't there's so many characters god damn it um you just mentioned her name um steve's nancy nancy thank you uh way too many characters in the show so you know we're seeing her trying to be become friends and we're also seeing her like deal with like you know her being a klutz and feeling like she's going to you know do like not step up and all she does this season is step up and proves that she's kind of a vital character on this show and just love seeing her in every scene and she's, she's got a hell of an arm uh because if she doesn't let she she misses man vector doesn't get burnt um when i talk about one scene with her but by the way, real quick, because you mentioned the Molotovs. So she throws the second Molotov. <laughs> My wife next to me goes, how many of those do they have? Well, they have at least five. I'm uh, like, well, I'm like, they have they have at least one each. And then she has the shotgun. So we're good. Yeah. So the scene when they're in uh, war zone, <laughs> there so much is happening in that scene. Uh, the jock bros are basically around everywhere. Everyone's scared. They're trying to load up. We still have. Uh, Steve and Nancy stuff. They're currently on the run because they've stolen an RV. Yet we get the moment where she sees the girl she's into kiss what she says is her, but we find out is her boyfriend. Did that scene break your guys' hearts like it broke mine? Because I watched that, I was like, no! Yeah. It, it was so, I was just so crushed. Kelly, how did you feel at that scene? Oh, it broke my heart because you really felt like she had something going and like when you feel that connection and to just lose it in an instant and like so in slow motion, like watching it happen and then watching like their eyes lock on each other and her just like bolt. Oh my God, my poor girl. Uh, But thankfully we got the peanut butter and jelly scene. And we find out they are very similar characters. So I hope it works out for them. It was so wonderful. Uh, And Steve's reaction, just magic. Who knew? Such a jerk in season one. The best guy ever. Now let's talk about Eddie. We have a whole segment for Eddie. My question to everyone was, what is it about Eddie that made him like basically steal the whole series, become this internet darling, become this character we want to see come, we wish didn't die. Like, what is it about him that that transcended the series, essentially? It's, I think it's simple. It's because from start to finish, he was Eddie. There was never a time when he was trying to impress anyone or or do something out of character or piss people off. Like, he was Eddie from start to finish and i think that's why people were able to fall for him so quickly kind of like 
this honestly the same as um my hawks character in season three was just like who is this and like why are they here and and how are they stealing every scene they are in is because oh they are bringing something so fresh and new to the table we are so used to this group of little kids nancy steve and jonathan we're so used to we know what they're gonna do the decisions they're gonna they're gonna make based on all the time we've had with them with eddie he's he was fun he was unpredictable when he jumps onto that table in the lunchroom and is and is you know flicking the devil horns and things like that he's just like I don't give a fuck what you think about me. And, and then when we get like the quieter, like fun, nice moments with him and Chrissy before her untimely death, like things like that. Like he was just like this very layered character from start to finish. Whereas Steve, we saw him as one thing and he evolved into something else. Eddie was always Eddie from beginning to end. And I thought that is why he became an internet darling. All right. Let's take it into the upside down. We got some fan theories. Uh, We all hated this one. Like Kelly wanted to set something on fire when we talked about this one. I probably agree. Um, My wife brought this one. She said that um, one slash, um, oh Christ, I totally blew his name. Vecna slash Henry is Eleven's dad. Next. Correct answer. Yeah, that's Um, stupid. The next theory is dumb. Eddie can come back. <sighs> I think I may have answered this already, but I'll, I'll try. I'll, it was the I, one where he I, was the, the vampire. I, oh no! I caught. I I heard you guys talking about this when I joined. Yeah. So this down. is so this is essentially like there's a character. That Vecna has a you know. Yes. The guy defeats I, I I get the theory. I understand it. Um, I think it would awesome. play with our emotions, so it's something potential. Um, that they could do. I just don't see why, why they would do outside of that. Like, I don't see necessarily why, like he didn't have a connection. Vector did had like no connection with, um, with Eddie outside of, you know, killing Chrissy in front of him. So I just feel like he's, he's gone. If If you make the choice of getting rid of him, just, let that be the end of it. I mean, he he was this season's um, Bob, right? We kind of fell in love with Bob, and then uh, he was taken from us too soon, and that's it. We're not going to see Bob come back in season five. That'd be really dumb. Um, I just feel like it's I don't know. It's I feel like it's unnecessary, and I think it would it would kind of tarnish or or you know kind of ruin uh, his heroic sacrifice at the end, and and not to mention. Dustin uh Gayton, who uh, you know Jersey Zone Gayton. Um what what an emotional kind of uh ending for for Eddie's character when he's going to when he talks to his uncle. Um I think it kind of gets soiled if we uh we bring him back in any capacity. Even if it was a manipulation by Vecna slash the Mind Flayer for Dustin. Like even a small cameo or something like that. Uh, I mean, sure. I mean, they brought back Billy 30 times this season. So I guess, I guess they could do it, but it's just, it's again, it's retreading. I feel like with season five, they really need to figure out, okay, how can we 
do what we did in season four. Let's take things that we love, 80s horror, and let's pay homage to that. And like, let's not keep retreading the Nightmare on Elm Street season that we just did. Let's, what are we going to do now? Okay, we're going to do big old fucking alien monsters. Cool. Let's, let's do that. Stick to uh, tornado spiders, is which, what is I'm calling the, the mind, the mind slayer, flayer, whatever it is. Well, you could. I wonder if they would go off of aliens. Yeah, something like that. So, guys, my final question to both of you is Will you be purchasing a Hellfire t shirt? And can we all go as the Hellfire Club for Halloween? Yes. The easiest Halloween costume ever, right? So, right. I'm, I'm in. I love an easy Halloween costume. As do I. So, guys, Kelly and Al and I have to figure out a way to get back home because right now we're stuck at the Jersey Shore and we have to climb through a weird rope ladder that my dog made. So let's hope we can make that happen. So thank you for joining us for this very long and odd edition of our Stranger Things review series. For Dan Cohen, who went to go eat because he's in California and he was starving. Uh, For Kelly McGovern and Al Manorino. We'll see you guys next week for our Thor Love and Thunder review.